Hello and welcome to the Open Paddock Rallycast. This is episode 77 for Tuesday. Tuesday? Is it Tuesday? You know, this corona thing makes all the days kind of blend together. So yes, it is Tuesday, April 14th, 2020. And today we're going to be talking about homeschool. No, not reading, writing, and arithmetic. Well, it does incorporate all three of those things, but it's all about co-driver training and doing it remotely with special guests, Alex and Rhiannon Gelsomino of Oz Rally Pro. So kick back, grab a cold one, and relax with us at the virtual rally pub we call the Rallycast. Well, hello, I'm your host, Mike Shaw, and I'm joined by my co-host, who once again is working remotely in the remote, remote, remotely remote. Wow. Okay. We're good with words here. <laughs> Snow-covered prairies, <laughs> Ian Holmes. Ian, how are you doing this evening, man? Um, I'm doing good. I'm just wondering where spring has gone, you know, because I was out on my bike on Saturday and it was like in the 60s, 65 degrees. I got a really nice 40 mile bike ride in. And then on Sunday, I've got like three inches of snow in my yard. I mean, <laughs> come on, come on, climate, decide what you're doing. Let's get let's get spring going. Yeah. Bipolar weather there in the prairies. Oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been, I, I must say, it's been beautiful out here on the west side, and uh, I, I have no complaints other than all the damn pollen. Uh, I didn't used to have allergies, but about five, ten years ago I started getting them, and they've just gotten worse and worse, I swear. And uh, right now is like at the peak. It's just, ugh. My eyes feel like sandpaper. Nose is running. No, it's not COVID. It's just uh, nasty, nasty allergies for a couple of weeks here, but hopefully it'll go away soon. Um but other folks that are in some very good weather locations, we have our guests with us. Uh, we have Alex and Rhiannon Gelsomino of Oz Rally Pro. Alex and Rhiannon, how are things out there in the mountainous Idaho region? <laughs> hey, Mike and Ian. Uh, first of all, thanks for having us. You know, it's great to talk to you. Uh, yeah, things are good here. And uh, we, we also had a bit of a uh, capricious weather you know it was really nice about a week ago then it got really cold but now it's going to be wet again and uh, it's something that uh, uh, it's, it's pretty common for the month of April here yeah. hi guys hi Rhiannon good to hear your voice again <laughs> how are you good I, we've had hay fever like you so we know how that feels we keep thinking like we need to take our temperature have we got it <laughs> <laughs> We're sneezing, we're sneezing. No, that's not a sign. We're fine. Oh, Alex, Rhiannon, take my temperature. <laughs> it's <been> ridiculous. <laughs> oh, my God. And it's just hay fever. <laughs> well, before we get in and talk about this uh, homeschool, as I'm uh, calling this uh, episode, uh, I, I just want to talk about uh, a little bit about how things have been going for you guys lately. Uh, well, Alex, I know that you were recently down at uh, Diversity, Mexico. Uh, obviously, it didn't end well for you guys out there uh, not quite the event you were hoping for but you know mexico is just such a fabulous event though i mean the the street stage there they do as you guys are just getting started in guanajuato and all that i mean give us an idea of why people should probably go to wrc mexico yeah i mean i think it's something to do with the how warm and how happy and the country of Mexico is, you know, it reflects on the spectators and, and the organizers. And it's just a, 
WRC Mexico is just like a big party, you know? So we, we go there every few years and uh, we, we've been lucky enough, enough, Ken and I, to do it for se in several occasions. And uh, it's just an incredible event. To me, also the roads, the stages are beautiful. It's one challenging event. Uh, the atmosphere is amazing. Uh, um, uh, so yeah, we were, we were there only a few weeks ago. It seems like it's been forever because we haven't done much since then. Uh, uh, and obviously our, our rally was cut short, but the entire event was cut short at the end because uh, the problems were starting to surface, you know, with the coronavirus. And, uh, uh, but yeah, I, I consider myself lucky to have done at least one rally this year and, and we'll see how the rest of the season goes. So unfortunately, a little bit of bad luck with the uh, Kazi, I think, in the North American region. Uh, 100 Acre Wood last year kind of didn't go so well for you guys uh, as well. But, you know, you guys put on a hell of a show. Was it San Remo uh, last year where everybody was talking about you guys out there? I mean, it, it was the headliner. Yeah, well, look, uh, obviously, we know this project came came about couple of years ago, you know, when we lost the first escort Cosworth, you know, Ken was like, I'm not done with this sort of, this sort of project. I'll, I'm going to get another one, but this time we'll do it bigger and better. And we did. And, uh, and there were some, some uh, problems at the beginning. And then we moved, which I think is a critical factor with this car. We moved into the tarmac events and the tarmac events wor worked really well. Um, as soon as we put the car back on gravel, she starts struggling a little bit with reliability. Uh, but on tarmac, the car worked really well. And last year we did Donegal, we did uh, uh, some bit of testing in between that and Legend. Uh, so we did Legend in San Marino, and then we did uh, we were course opener at uh, Rally du Valais in Switzerland, and the car worked really well. So overall, I think we spent a little bit more time on tarmac, and we got the car really sorted on tarmac. But on gravel, she seems to struggle. We did a couple of days of testing in Arizona uh, earlier in um, February, uh, and and it was working okay. But then um, there are there are some other challenges at WRC Mexico. The main one is is the altitude, and the car didn't like the lack of air. We worked really hard on testing there, and uh, uh, just just couldn't get it right. And then at the end, the engine expired just at, just at the beginning of the event, and it was a bit heartbreaking. And uh, uh, and Ken and I had a brief talk after the event about you know future for that car. And, uh, there is a possibility that you will see that car more often in shorter events, perhaps tarmac events, than not. Uh, full-on WRC events. These are perhaps a bit too full-on for that car. I mean, it's, it's got a lot of modern parts, but it's still an older car, and it is, it's on the fragile side. We love it. The fans love it. The sponsors love it. It's, it's been a great uh, marketing idea, uh, but we need to be a bit selective which events we go and compete in. Yeah, you spoke about, um, you mentioned there uh, Donegal and uh, I I've loved watching the uh, in-car footage that they, that you'd posted of that. You were really busy with the calling on some of those stages, weren't you? Yeah, yes. Uh, tarmac stages in in Ireland I, uh, are always quite busy because uh, there is some technicality to it. There is a lot of bumps and jumps, and so you have generally more detail on the pace notes compared to events in North America where we have 
generally really fast stages with many straights and and you are producing less detailed pace notes because of that you know uh, so that's that's the the way irish stages are and and, and stages in the French Championship, which I had the opportunity to, to do last year with Chiana. And, and, and in Italy as well, you know, there is a lot of technicality on those tarmac stages, which uh, uh, creates detailed pace notes. Yeah, I think that uh, doing a, an Irish tarmac rally is, is a, a bucket list item of mine. That's something I would really like to do. Mm. Yeah, I've only done Circuit of Ireland and Alex has done Donegal. So we've done one each now in Ireland. Um, and so we've both been lucky enough to experience it. And it was quite funny because, you know, all the rallying we've done all over the world, but we've both actually only done one rally each in Ireland, but we both loved it. Um, but like Alex said, they're a real challenge, that's for sure. <laughs> Bucket list for me is just to go, go spectate one at least because, uh, yeah, there's... I've seen some of the onboards and I still keep coming back to, was it Lappy when he was in the Skoda R5 and there's a point on, uh, I think I can't remember if it was Donegal or if it was Circuit of Ireland when they were doing that. It was, it was a few years ago, but it it's bonkers. I mean, how he has control of that car <laughs> with such narrow stages and the bumps and some of the, the slick stuff that if you're just an inch wrong, and it's all over. And oof, serious bravery there for both driver and co-driver. A big thing in those I find is that, that if it's a little bit wet, like when I did Circuit of Ireland, I had hail, I had rain, I had sun. And if it's just a little bit of wet, the cutting that they do on the corners in the R5 cars or, you know, WRC cars a lot of the time, it just brings so much mud onto the tarmac. So you come around a corner and you're just not ready for it, you know. So it, it's a real challenge because you have, you know, sometimes stone like fences either side or you have hedges. The roads are really narrow. And then all of a sudden you come around a corner and you're blind to it and everyone's been cutting it and there's just mud everywhere. So, you know, they're a real challenge for so many reasons. If it's a dry rally, yeah, it's great. You don't have those problems. But, you know, wet tarmac in Ireland is definitely a challenge. Uh, to a point, actually, guys, that I don't know if you know, but there is uh, setups. There are specific Irish tarmac setups and, and dampers. Dampers for rally cars are specific Irish tarmac dampers, which oh, really? are a combination, mm -hmm. yes are a combination between a gravel damper with a, a little bit um, uh, harder springs and setups. So just to give you an idea how different they are, those roads, from anything else seen in the world. Now, we, are, we were scheduled to do um, Barbados, and we are still scheduled if it's, if it's postponed sometimes later this year. And I've been told that there is some similarities to, uh, to the stages. You know, they're bumpy, dirty, and things like that. So I'm looking forward at some point to let you know if the stages in Barbados are actually similar to the to the Irish tarmac stages. Yeah, I, I've been told that. Yeah, that would be great to hear. Yeah, because there's a lot of Irish guys that go there. That's correct. Yeah, it's, it's quite common for uh, Irish drivers and uh, dri you know, drivers from England uh, as well to to go and do that and combine it, make it a holiday as well as a cool event. Yeah. 
a little bit more locally. Um, I haven't seen you guys for a little while, but I have to say, actually, the last two events where I've seen Rally Cars of Speed, I did get to see each of you. Um, so, Alex, <laughs> you were at Tour de Forest when uh, that ran as the Super Regional last year, and uh, I believe you were co-driving for Julian Sabot. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, we I worked with Julian there, which is also a, a graduate of our Oz Rally Pro um, pace note training. And uh, there is a, an opportunity with, to work with Julian in the future as well. I really enjoy work with him. He's he's originally from France, but he's been he's been living in the Portland area for many many years. He's an engineer up there, and uh, uh, I I enjoy working with him because being an engineer. Uh, he's very meticulous and, and he's really doing a, a, a great job with his pace notes already after one event, after the training is done with us on one event. And, and I have enjoy, enjoyed uh, working with him for that particular reason. Now, we did our first event at Tour, which, as you know, you were there. Tour was a very, very challenging event. You know, you start wrecking the dark. Uh, they, the, the, the event starts only a couple hours after the end of Reiki, carries on all the way until the, the evening. And obviously the stages were uh, challenging, but also wet and foggy. Uh, Tour de Forest was a very challenging event last year, but that's one of the reasons why we enjoyed it. So we finished second in class. It was a great reward for a driver that is, uh, was in his first event. So we had a great time and looking forward to uh, work together with him again. Do you like that kind of uh, compacted one-day event where you show up in the morning, you got recce that goes until, you know, the early afternoon or whatever, then you do the rally and it just goes on into the night, and then it's just done, all wrapped up in one package in one day? Oh, a very good question, Mike, and the answer is yes. I did enjoy it because I enjoy every time a rally presents those sort of challenges. Uh, Steve McQuaid, which is a clerk of the course for Olympus and Tour de, Tour de Force, it does a, a very, very good job. He's a very experienced collector of the course. He comes from uh, back in the day when Olympus was a WRC event. So I trust uh, him 100% when it comes to putting up an event, you know, and putting together a series of stages. So uh, now, obviously, we are facing some challenging times and we're asking ourselves, what is the future of rallying going to be in North America, but also elsewhere in the world? And I think that this sort of events, those co compact events, and uh, that include three, four stages, you recce them in the morning, then after lunch you start the event and carries on into the evening, they, they may be quite successful in the future because... Uh, who knows? We may be dealing with, you know, lesser budgets, people that are going to have less time, you know, uh, and things like that. We just don't know. I'm just assuming that. But the formula is, is nice. And I really enjoy it. For that particular event, I actually even drove. I didn't even have to jump on a flight. So it was it was such a, a pleasant three, four days for me going there. Uh, it's an area of the world that I really enjoy, the Pacific Northwest, doing that event in challenging conditions, getting a good result, driving back, which is an awesome drive. And yeah, so hopefully there'll be more of those events in the future. I liked it. What about uh, Rhiannon and uh, Ian? What do you guys think? I, I thought it was kind of cool to be able to pack that package all that up into a single day. It's a long day, but it, mm -hmm. it, it was, yeah, you, everything that you wanted, I guess, in a rally was there, including night stages. And, and that's something that uh, I think some of our events are lacking. 
Yeah, look, in Australia, we call them a sprint rally. So I've done quite a lot um, in my career, um, like I say, a sprint rally. And and the whole idea was, you know, you drive there Friday night, you do your recce Saturday morning, your rally Saturday night, you're back home Sunday. So no one takes any time off work um, and it's all compact. And like I said, I think the sprint rally, from memory, I haven't done them for a while in Australia. It had to be between 60 and 80 kilometres um, in the Australian rules. And they used to get really big entries because of the fact that, you know, people could, you know, not take any time off work. They could just go do that. They could be home. So I remember really enjoying it. My first ever rally with my brother, Brendan, um, was actually one of those rallies, the Mount Poor Punker Rally Sprint. And, you know, we recce in the morning, similar to what you guys did, Alex and and Julian did. And then I think it was, you know, four stages that we repeated and, and same situation. And, and yeah, I've really enjoyed them throughout the years. I'm not sure what Ian thinks about them, but Alex and I definitely think they're a great idea. And we think a national series sh should have, you know, maybe we could have like some rallies that are called sprint rallies and then some rallies that are called endurance rallies or something like that, just to mix it up a bit and, and cater for different scenarios. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the the first rally I ever did was like uh, Nimaji, which is a regional out here in Minnesota. And uh, yeah, it was, that was only like an hour's drive from my house. So, you know, we like drove up there in the morning, got there and did did recce. And then we did the uh, did the yeah, mon the morning was the recce. Then in the afternoon, we did the rally. And uh, because the night set so early in the winter, we did the last. We did the last pass in the darkness, and that was great. You know, I love. I love rallying in the dark. I mean, that's a whole, a whole new thing. A whole. That's a whole special, special part of rallying. I mean, I. I, I love being out in the dark. So, yeah. I mean, I'm. I'm all for more. More single day events because it'll be. It's cheaper. Just one thing for a start. You know. But, uh, so uh, yeah, I. I like the idea. Well, uh, then the other person I got to see, of course, was Rhiannon uh, not too long ago. And uh, you were in one of the Subaru cars uh, sitting next to Brandon Seminuk because uh, his normal co-driver couldn't make it. You got to be there at that uh, little secret test. That was been one heck of an experience. Yeah, it was really exciting when um, we got a message from Brandon asking if we could come to the test, um, you know, because John was um, already scheduled to be away on a family holiday um, you know, those sort of opportunities are ones that we jump at. So um, Brandon, we'd met from racing him in the Canadian Rally Championship. So um, Alex had been his teammate a few times up there and we'd got to know him quite well. So um, when he um, contacted us, it was a great opportunity to go and do a two-day test. I'd only, I'd sat in these cars once before with David Higgins when I co-drove for Bucky back in 2016 at New England Forest Rally. I jumped in with David for a test in and out. Um, and so I'd only sat in them that one time before. And, and um, yeah, when I got in with Brandon, I was really surprised at the um, cars there. I felt like I've been in R5 for quite a few rallies now. And um, to go in these cars, I was really impressed at their speed and they're a big car, but they handle really well. And, and, you know, Brandon had been driving the R5 of Barry McKenna's and he'd been doing a few other things and, um, you know, he jumped in and he found the car really easy and enjoyable to drive. And, 
Um, he writes very good notes and, you know, I guess his background in mountain biking means he reads the road really well. So I found his notes were detailed and, and described the road really well. So it made my job easy as well because I was able to work with a really strong set of notes and do my job. And um, he's a, he was, um, yeah, really good to work with. And the team's brilliant, as you guys know. You know, they're, they're the... Um, main um, manufacturing team in america so anytime working with them the tests are very professional and and well organized so those sort of you know tests are always a pleasure to attend and work at because you know you're always getting the best facilities put in front of you too well having been in the car you know that one of their cars in 2017 and then you know then this year could you tell a difference like in the upgrades i guess i mean obviously it looks like the same car but does it did it feel different um you know going from uh, through the generations of that car cuz some people look at it, it's like oh they're just rebadging the same car again but they continually modify it don't they yeah and all in on in all honesty like when I went in the car with David that year I was doing a lot of rallies in R5 in the Scottish Rally Championship and I didn't really notice a huge difference between going in the R5 and that car but then this year I just felt like they'd really up to their game the car felt really strong um you know the stages we were on were really fast um so I guess that made a big difference but there was times when, you know, Brandon would pull a gear and then he's like, oh, we've got no more gears left just because, you know, the, the <laughs> car was, yeah, we both laughed on the onboard. It was pretty funny because, you know, I looked and I realized that he was pulling for another gear and there was another gear and, and we, you know, we were sitting on, I think it was like nearly 120 or something. So it wasn't going slow, that's for sure. And, and um, yeah, I mean, I guess the biggest thing that people get confused, the car is quite a big car. So a lot of the time people don't realize how well a car of that size and probably even weight handles. And um, I guess that's one of the most impressive things for me was when you're in that car, you do have a lot of room around you, which you don't usually have in other cars, but um, it handles really well. And, you know, the braking and then the acceleration and everything like that, it was really impressive. So for Brandon and I, you know, hopefully the rallies will start again and he'll be out there racing because, you know, this is a fantastic opportunity for him. And so for us out there, we just had smiles on our faces for two days straight because what a great opportunity to be in, you know, the best cars in America at the moment um, for two days where you, they just, you know, leave you in the car virtually and say, okay, out you go again, out you go again. And, you know, you just test all day until you've had enough virtually. Like, those opportunities don't come along very often. Usually it's like, okay, you'll be doing this much testing and you'll do this many runs and it's so set and specific, whereas this was just like you guys just, you know, test until you think that you're happy and, and then we'll finish for today and then we'll do the same tomorrow. So, you know, we we did over, um, over 120 miles of testing in two days. I think it was, you know, maybe up 140 miles or something like that. It was a lot of testing in the two days and, we yeah, we both got a lot out of it. I have to say what got me was uh, how talking to the engineer, um, uh, Steve Dunlop, is it, I believe? And he, he was just talking about pretty much anything that he threw at, you know, to get used to the different setup changes and whatnot. And anything he threw at Brandon, he just almost immediately felt it, understood it, and like, yep, got that. Okay, let's move on to the next thing. Yeah, so we did a lot of work on, I'm really big on recording data and all that sort of thing. So... We did a lot of work with Yanis as well and Steve and 
they would get us to, you know, use different launch modes and all those sort of things and just try different diff settings. And we tried everything possible because Brandon's obviously new to these cars and we could have easily just done two days of a, a setting, a setup that felt, you know, comfortable. But instead of doing that, we changed it, things around constantly. And, and, you know, we'd know, oh, you know, if it went one way or the other, you know, we might raise the rear of the car and know all of a sudden that it wasn't feeling good anymore. So, you know, for Brandon, it was definitely about changing things and getting used to what was going to work for him because, you know, they've had um, Oliver in the car and David in the car and Travis in the car, but, you know, all drivers are different. So it was important that Brandon got a setup that actually suited his style of driving versus those other three drivers which have been predominantly in the car the last 12 months. So, you know, for him to get what he felt was comfortable in, on a wet setup because on the Saturday of the test we had a lot of rain um, and then on the Friday we had a dry test. So it was good because, you know, planning and working toward, towards 100 acre wood at the time, then he had, you know, both setups if it was going to be a dry or a wet rally and things like that. So unfortunately as you guys know those rallies have been cancelled or postponed but i still think it was great um especially for him to get a feel for the car work out what feels strong and then i'm sure they're going to test again before the next rally and for me it was just great to work with a new driver that was very talented and and you know him and i would talk about things we were both willing to learn from each other and that's always really important it doesn't matter how much experience either of you've got in a car as long as you learn from each other and and take things from each other, that's a really good learning progression. Well, I guess for both of you, you know, you guys have been in so many different cars with so many different drivers, and you obviously get to understand those different setup changes, whatnot. I, I mean, I guess it's all about comfort, right? Whatever's comfortable for the driver. And uh, have you been able to provide input to maybe help a driver, I guess, in the past, especially like some of the drivers that go through your schools and whatnot, and kind of understand what they're looking for? And, uh, and maybe you can help out a little bit in whatever changes might be able to make that uh, uh, their speed come up a little bit. Well, uh, honestly, we've been working the last few years with drivers that are always being keen on, on getting feedback from us. You know, obviously, they understand that uh, they have uh, two co-drivers that have a fair amount of experience. I'm, I'm nearly at 30 years, and then Rihanna, you know, she's on her 15th or 16th year of co-driving. So we've been in many cars, we work with many drivers, and and different system of pace notes and and things like that. So we we're happy when when the driver asks our opinion on on uh, and and feedback on specific uh, things, uh, starting from pace notes to setups. Uh, and uh, to be honest, the, the, the drivers I've worked in the last two, three, four years uh, have all, you know, uh, sort of seek that sort of feedback. And when I speak to Rhiannon, uh, she tells me the same thing. So that, to me, that's quite rewarding, you know, when, when, when a driver asks you that from, from the JWRC Junior World Championship, you know, to the uh, Tarmac events. And that's where I started back in Italy and, uh, and to here in North America, where, where we have some awesome stages if we can help our driver, we will say, uh, we will provide feedback. Yeah, for sure. That can be also something that can benefit us, you know, the result, the team, the sponsors. Yeah. And I think something that we really bring to a team, which other people without our experience doesn't have is, I know this sounds funny, but bringing tactics into rallying. So a lot of time the drivers don't even think about the fact that, you know, you can use tactics in rallying. So, you know, things like, 
when should we do a front to rear tire change because then you know if you're in a little front wheel drive car sort of thing if you do that one little change well then maybe you've got an advantage on your opposition or tire pressures and you know um just so many things like alex and i are really particular at looking at the itinerary or the schedule if you'd like to call it for the stages how long they are what's our distance between the stages and those sort of things because then we can sit down with the driver and say you know look this would be a really good time to change tires if we take two spares with us you know, no one else may have done that. We'll put two new fronts on. You know, a lot of drivers will be like, what? We're going to change tires? And we're like, <laughs> yeah, we're going to change tires, you know, because in no offense in America, not much of that goes on. You know, people right. just, they go from stage to stage. You don't see many tire changes. Alex and I coming from the WRC background, we are changing tires on the run all the time. Your tactics are in place so much, you know, and you have to get into a routine of, how long will it take us to do a front to rear? How long will it take us to put new front tires on? All these sort of things that our drivers, most of them, don't know. So, you know, by having us beside them, we can sit down and say, okay, we need to do a front to rear practice. We need to do a putting new fronts on practice. We need to time this. We need to see what this will take. Okay, we can do this. Oh, wait, where do we have to refuel? We need to do it after the refuel because putting fuel in the car is the most important thing. So there's so many tactical things that we look at that maybe other people have never even considered. You know, I, I know you two are obviously very huge on safety and whatnot with uh, the teams that you can compete with, you know, have your standards and whatnot. Uh, but one thing I found is, you know, talk about the tire changes is, uh, actually, it wasn't until LSPR I saw that um, Oliver Solberg did a little uh, challenge between uh, him and uh, his dad, Petter, in doing a tire change when <laughs> this was after the shakedown. And it, it made me think, do you guys uh, make sure that you do those tire change practice with your drivers that you work with? Uh, so both of you are just kind of, you know, how is it stowed in this specific car? Because you guys are changing from team to team sometimes, you know, with, with your guys' uh, training or, or whatever teams you're working with. Yeah, when you talk about the tire change, uh, what is really important and critical is the gear that is in the car. Uh, in order to do a, a quick uh, tire change, you need a proper hydraulic jack, you know, rattle gun, and you need the setup that allows you to do that. But when I worked, uh, when, and Brianna as well, when we worked in the Junior uh, World Championship with M-Sport, uh, uh, it was one of the things that they were uh, making us focus a lot, because uh, if you have a, a, a flat tire, and you can change that flat tire in a minute 15, a minute 20, or even slightly faster, that, that makes your job so much easier. But in order to do that, you need to practice. Uh, and if you don't practice and, and if you don't get the procedures right between driver and co-driver, there is no way you can achieve that sort of time. So yeah, we do practice with the drivers. Uh, uh, to be honest, it's been more the drivers at, at, at world championship level. Uh, we try to talk our drivers uh, in national level uh, to do that as well. But like I said a minute ago, sometimes you you need to start with the gear that is in the car uh, and the tools that are provided to you in order to do the tire change. You know, if you don't have a good rattle gun or a proper jack, uh, there is no way you can do a tire change that quick. So, uh, but again, is when we start working with the drivers. One of the points that we start mentioning, you you mentioned that the safety before, so we always talk about you know seats, which are important thing, and uh, and then we move into things like hey, you know, 
punctures do happen in rallying. You know, what is our setup? Uh, uh, do we have a jack that allows us to do that our job quicker? Because it could be a difference between uh, getting a puncture and still finishing on a podium or not. And it's, it's a really good question because I remember my brother and I in the junior WRC because like Alex said in the juniors we do a lot of tyre changing because those um, cars are front wheel drive cars and you have a set amount of tyres to use so you're changing tyres all the time and I remember they had us at M's for and we had to do a race all of us and my brother and I, I can't tell you how many times, like they gave us something like 30 minutes to practice all the different ways that we'd like to try and Brendo and I come up with the idea that he should always be the one that handled the wheel nuts and the wheel because the driver always has gloves on. So as far as if the wheel nuts are hot or the tyre is hot, he's not going to burn his hands versus if I go to grab those things, you know, even if I have my co-driver gloves on, they don't have the tips of the fingers. So I'm going to burn the tips of my fingers. So when we did the competition at M Sport, I was the only girl, so it was quite funny. And we practiced and practiced, and Brendo and I won. And the funny part was we were one of the only teams that made the driver do the main part of the um, the wheel nuts and the tyre. And, and when M Sport spoke about it, they're like, well, Brennan and Rhiannon, one thing that they realized immediately was the driver needs to be doing this because you guys didn't consider the fact that the car is hot. You know, you're, you're mm-hmm. 15 kilometers into a 30 kilometer stage, you get a puncture, you have to change it. And then the co-driver goes to do that job. They're going to burn their hands immediately and then you're screwed sort of thing. So there's so many things to think about. And, and you know, it's, I know that sometimes it seems little and significant, but Alex and I go over so many things like that with our drivers and we just hope that they're keen and, and excited to practice and try it. And if they're not, you know, Ryan Millen was great. Ryan and I did a lot of tyre practice. We'd race Alex or Christina at timers, you know, <laughs> and we'd try and get those RAV4 tyres changed as quickly as could. We never had to change a tyre in stage, so it was quite funny because we did all these practices and never used it. But he was great. As soon as I said we need to do this, away we went, you know. So like Alex said, it's a really a motivation thing, it, depending on what driver we're working with. And hopefully they're, they're keen enough to do these things. Yeah, I really should get on get on at Scott that we should do some uh, some tire changing practice. Luckily, we've never had to deal with such a thing on stage. In fact, I've only ever had to deal with a with a flat tire once on stage, and that was a Jibway three or four years ago. And luckily, we were so close enough to the end of the stage to like uh, drive drive to the end of the stage, and then we could change change the tire on the roads so uh, the pressure was was off a bit as you know because like stage some of the stages are between the stages at Ojibwe it's like a, a mile and you've got about 15 minutes to get that mile to the next to the next time control so uh, the pressure was really off them but I've never had to uh, I've never had to deal with doing it on stage but I like to think I've at least I've got some kind of theory in my mind about how to do it but I mean that's that's uh, not not good enough. You've got to really got to be able to practice it, and yeah, really, really should practice that. But you can't do that when you're doing social distancing right now. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when you practice it, you know, helmets on, belts on uh-huh. and off, like. To, to do the proper whole thing is important because yeah. at the end of the day, we've had people go, oh, we did a tire change in under a minute. 
And we're like, mm-hmm. oh, did you have your belts on? Did you take your belts off? Did you put them back on? Did you have your helmet on? Did you take your intercom off? Like we, mm-hmm. we go everything. Do the whole we're thing. Like, well, yeah, we're like opening the door, shutting the door. Everything takes time. And then they're like, mm-hmm. oh, no. And we're like, okay, we'll do it properly. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, your time. <laughs> well, and then there's another factor I was hearing is that, um, and I think it was Petter that was maybe talking about this, was in a winter rally, you've got to be careful. Um and because the hot lug nuts can melt into the snow. <laughs> so you take those off. If you drop those, those are going to just just melt their way down to infinity. I've seen them drop like over a foot. Like uh, I, There's a footage of possum born one time at a snow rally. It's on YouTube. And one of his mechanics takes them off and forgets to put them in the special thing. And next second they just drop like a foot down and he's trying to get them out of the snow. It's actually quite funny. So it's definitely a huge problem on snow rallies. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, loving the stories about tire changes, but uh, I think we should probably talk about training. Cause that was, that was original topic that we were talking about. We, we just love chatting with you too. Cause you always have so much to teach us. <laughs> so, um, well, first of all, I want to talk about um, Oz Rally Pro. Since the last time we had you guys on, which I think, well, gosh, was last year when you were doing the uh, Special Academy thing. But you guys in general, um, up until this uh, current issue that we've had with the social distancing, uh, Oz Rally Pro has been pretty busy. Yeah, yeah, Mike, it's, it's been really busy. We were looking at the numbers actually from January 1st until uh, the crisis happened and the numbers were already setting new records, you know, again. And, and, and even today, there has been two drivers that reached out today and, and they inquired, okay, when can I book? And, okay, Mr. Driver, we don't have, we're still social distancing. It's going to be maybe sometimes at the end of May, but we can't give you some some precise dates. So people are still keen. And, uh, uh, and uh, look, it's been so busy. It's been surprisingly busy. But at the same time, we, we know, Rihanna and I know how hard we, we work with those drivers and co-drivers. And, and obviously, as you know, we, and Ian know because he's been here, we, we, we do give priority to this one-to-one training that has been the, what, what we want to offer to people. We've always been against the, the big classroom of 10, 12, 15 mm-hmm. students. We don't want to do that. The more students we have had in that kitchen table of ours has been four mm-hmm. or five. That's the very most. So yeah. uh, people, uh, drivers and co-drivers are appreciating the fact that they're getting this one-to-one personal training that uh, uh, can adjust to their needs and, 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 and to their level of preparation and, and their, le- their current level of experience. So I think that has been what is uh, what has been uh, quite successful. Um, uh, so it, it's been really busy, surprisingly busy. Australia, New Zealand, New Zealand was ready to, to book with us, you know, but then we have, we have to cancel the plans and we'll pick them up at some point in the future. Again, you know, but U.S. has been busy, so, yeah. And we have already at least for drivers or co-drivers booked with dates to be determined, you know. As soon as Mm -hmm. we have dates, we need to let them know. Uh, Yeah, it's been good. Do you have a number of how many have been through your school yet? Yeah, so um, the other day we've done three online um, trainings since um, the coronavirus hit. 
And so our last online training, which was uh, over a week ago, he was our 204th student. Wow. So out of That's two, impressive. Yeah. And out of 204 students, like some people have been to us three times. So, you know, um, if you actually added up how many times people have been as well, it would be even bigger numbers. But we're talking about 204 different people um, have trained with us since we started the course in December 2013. So we're uh, totally blown away. Like we never expected those sort of numbers. And to think that they're the numbers we're getting and people, like Alex said, in Australia this year at the start of the year, we were so busy. We barely got a day off. We're home to see my family for a for four weeks and like every day, like my dad, it's a Sunday and, and that's really the only day that you see my dad. And he's like, oh, did we want to go somewhere today? Sorry, dad, we're working. So he's, like, <laughs> you know, he's like, you guys are working every day. We're like, yeah, well, you work every day too. So, but it was just one of those things that it was like, well, if people want to book, we're, you know, we're going to train them. So mm-hmm. um, it was fantastic. And then obviously, like Alex said, we had three people booked in that were ready to come do their one-on-one training. And then Idaho had the lockdown enforced, which actually ends tomorrow. But then the governor will be saying tomorrow what happens, whether it continues or whether it stops. We're we're assuming it will continue. So hopefully tomorrow we'll have more of an idea of when those people that have booked and, you know, are ready to do their training here while us in Idaho, when they can actually come and do that. Like I say, there's three different teams Um, so that'll be important. And then in the meantime, you know, our online training, which so far we've trained two co-drivers and one driver. Um, and one of the co-drivers was Canadian, one was American and the driver was American. So, you know, yeah, our, our optimal training is coming here and being, doing practical, taking them out, doing recce, but we've actually been surprised at how well the online training has worked and, and how much they've taken away from it. All three people who trained were blown away, I think, by what they learned. Um, the feedback on on um, social media for us was outstanding. So, you know, to see what they wrote after they've just finished training for us made us feel really proud because this was something that we had to quickly come up with knowing that, you know, we can't do what we normally do as far as training is concerned. So um, we've been really proud of those three trainings, but we're just hoping, you know, we can get more. We understand people are in the same position as us. They don't have work, you know, um, so it's a lot harder with incomes and things like that. But then at the same time, throughout the years, we've had a lot of people who can't afford to come here and do our one-on-one training, um, you know, because you need to fly to Boise, you need your, your rental car, those sort of things. So it's a good opportunity for those people who maybe haven't been able to afford the training here that that could do this training online with us and, you know, um, still learn a lot from us. Yeah, so how are you developing, how are you adapting the training to this remote schooling? Because I like, like we say, I've been there and I've been through the one-on-one. So I'm just wondering how things, how you develop it. Yeah, we, we had to obviously uh, uh, think about a strategy. Uh, and uh, just to be clear, those couple few trainings that we've done online, They've been broken down in two hour, two uh, in, in two hour sessions. So the student uh, was uh, training for two hours today, for example, and then 
two more hours tomorrow, and then an extra hour the following day. The training is actually done through Skype, and uh, and uh, the way we work, Ian, is that we use a lot of onboards through file sharing, uh, mm -hmm. not only onboards of uh, us in the rally car or things like that, but also we have some stages uh, from our um, rally where we have the onboard of the recce of that particular stage uh, as well as the onboard during the rally, right? So we're actually doing, you know, with the students on the other side of the world, you know, we are doing the two-pass recce with the onboard of the recce which we are video sharing so that's instantly on, on, the, on the student's screen as well as our screen. We're doing the first pass, the second pass, and, and then we're doing the pass of uh, the stage during the rally at full speed with the rally car. So th there is a lot of feedback that can be given um, to, the, to the student, either driver or co-driver, Driver is a little bit more challenging, but the driver we trained was really happy um, with, with the result, and he, he told us that he learned so much. So, and there is a lot of file sharing, not only videos, but files that are part of our portfolio of examples and things that you actually see that we have uh, in, a, in a little monitor in our classroom that we share with the students. But the same thing that we do in a classroom, we can do it on a video conference where we are discussing the subject of that particular moment and then uh, sharing the files uh, via video conference, you know. So it's worked quite well. One thing, of course, we can't do is the hands-on um, training of being on the stage uh, yeah. and, and doing the recce practice, which is something that we are really proud of because, as you know, here we have so many good roads around our house in, in Boise, Idaho, that we use the proper stages. Some of them are stages used during the Idaho rally, so that we can't offer uh, that sort of precision. But hey, I mean, it's an online training. There is only so much you can do, but like Rihanna was saying, the, the, the feedback exceeded our expectations. So we're pretty stoked. When things go back to normality, we will leave this online training option available to some students they may be on the other side of the world. They may be in the UK or Italy or Spain, and, and they don't have the opportunity to come and see us directly. And and so what we do, Ian, when you ask um, the workbook that you guys got, so um, I've mm -hmm. just modified it a little bit for driver and co-driver, and it's PDF. And then the night before the training, I email it to them. And then we ask them you know, to print it off if they can, because then they can write notes in it. Um, but if they can't print it off, that's no problem. One of them just had it on his second screen and wrote notes sort of thing. Um, so they still get this, the workbook and they can write notes and we go through all the workbook as we would in a normal training. Um, and then when Alex was explaining about the recce video, what we actually did was on the first pass, the co-driver would sit there and he, Alex would play the recce video and Alex would call the notes to him like what we would in normal practice here. Um, so they would write mm -hmm. them down. And then on the second pass, because we both had the video going at the same time, we'd say three, two, one, go, and the video would go and, and you know, you'd both be seeing exactly the same screen. Um, second pass, the co-driver would read it to us and Alex would send them changes. And then, like Alex said, we had the stage at speed. So then the third pass would be, 
they call that stage at speed to the video. So, you know, we're, we've adapted a lot um, to be able to do it this way. We practiced. We got my sister in Australia to get on Skype and, and we were trying, you know, looking backwards and forwards and seeing how it worked and everything worked really well. So we knew that the videos and all that stuff was going to be something that was a real positive and something we could share with them. So, like Alex said, ideally coming here is the um, number one goal for our students, we think. Um, but we're really happy with how this training is going and how we're making the practical side work via online. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you're coming out of this with a brand new product that you guys can be able to offer, of all things, which is pretty remarkable in, in having to adapt under this sudden, you know, shoved on us, uh, you know, situation. So a definite positive there. Do you think this is going to be something that, like you said, obviously there's people that are much farther around the globe that uh, could benefit for this, but would it be also maybe something for maybe a novice, at least just first starting out, just kind of trying to get the basics or maybe a refresher for somebody that's been through your program. Um, but obviously, as you said, the primary focus you guys have is the one-on-one. Oh, very much so. Like you said, this happened because of necessity. You know what I mean? Right now, with this big mess going on, we had to think about a way of, of offering that sort of program. And we were impressed by the interest and also by the feedback. But yes, it's something that definitely um, we will leave in case there are opportunities. Uh, uh, oh, sorry, there is options uh, of working with uh, students that are on the other side of the world and uh, don't have the opportunity to come here or for us to to, to go and see them directly. Uh, and, and also, we are at this point to have also a, a bit of a backup plan because sometimes you, you're working with a student that uh, doesn't have the, the, the fastest connection. Depending where they are, they may be in a rural area and everything, but we have developed a bit of a backup plan in case they can't, we can't link the video directly into their screen. We have a backup plan that we can uh, still go to, uh, to uh, another option that allows us to do the same job. So um, the reason I was asking this earlier is like, yeah, I haven't co-driven since the Jibway last year, you know, and it's like I'm trying to keep my eye in, you know, I I run over our old videos and Rhiannon, uh, the workbook is never far away from me. So I'm I'm always, I try to make out like um, sometime every week to like, go th- go through stuff i mean you should have seen me when i was when i was still at work i was like set up in the set up in the uh, break room at lunchtime and i'd put my laptop up and i would play our our videos back and i would try to make try to make notes and uh, go over them again and again try to get a flow and all that so i'm wondering it's like so i've not done anything for like six months so it's like would 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 the online training work for me for like, like a some kind of refresher yeah, so the other day we advertised that there's refreshers available as well. So our thinking for a refresher would be, like, as you know, Ian, our training is very tailored and catered to every individual. So the idea would be that you contact us and, you know, these are things that I really want to work on again before I get back in the car. These are things I've been doing. Can you look at my onboard and whatever And then, you know, depending on how much time people need, you know, someone might need a refresher where we're online for an hour. Someone might need Mm -hmm. two hours sort of thing. So, you know, depending on, you know, looking at actually developing the co-drivers even more, like, as I said before, there's some people who have trained with us two or three times in person here. 
but you know this is a way that maybe in this time where people do have maybe some more time up their sleeve where they could be maybe sitting down with some notes and onboards and things like that and going through things where there can be a time where you say, guys, can I book an hour session with you? You know, um, I'm going to YouTube send you this onboard. I'm going to scan you my notes. Alex and I are going to go through them before the training and and we can work on specifics and things like that. So we're, we're sort of open to many ideas at the moment because we just think that you know, there's, we're always so busy and on the road that we don't really have much time to have opportunities to help people further themselves in these ways. Whereas at the moment, we do have those opportunities. So if there's situations where people feel like they they need a little bit more work or a recap or something like that, or they want us to go over work with them, you know, we think that that's a fantastic opportunity for them as well. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to gonna have to check 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 all my uh, old notes and in boards out and on boards out and see if we see if I can't get something to get something together <laughs> I, I just think that we're always learning aren't we like it was interesting um, I got all of the on boards from my test with Brandon and you know I did you do the same piece of road over and over in a test as we know you know you drive in you drive out then you go to the service park you drive in you drive out and it's just interesting seeing like the way you call the notes when you're doing the same piece of road over and over and over mm-hmm. and seeing, you know, sometimes you'll slightly do this or you'll slightly do that. Cause I find, and, and Alex and I talk about this a lot cause we both get to test with our drivers, you know, in situations, which is really cool for us. And, and it means you can actually work on developing things. So at testing, you can be like, Oh, I should have done this better. I should have marked it up like that way. A lot of people don't get those chances to test, you know, they just get to the rally and they're straight into it. So I think that that's always really good for us. So an opportunity to, I think, you know, send Alex and I on boards and send us notes and work through things is a little bit similar to what we sometimes get to do when we get to test by, you know, going back over what we did, what what was our best on board that we did at the test? Why was that? You know, what did we do differently? All those sort of things. I think that you can learn so much from those things, just like you can from, you know, you might review your on board and not see something and then you send it to Alex and I and purely because of our experience, we say, oh, wait, so at 1.25 there, Ian, did you notice what you did? And you might say, uh, no, I'm not sure, but we might pick something up. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So, yeah, um, yeah, and, and, and it's purely nothing to do with the anything wrong with you. It's just because of all of our experience, we notice things that other people don't. Mm-hmm. So to get a hold of you guys and, you know, tr- do some of this online type of uh, training to or, or reviews and whatnot of, of notes and what you're doing. Uh, so basically just make sure they email you guys, contact you guys on social media or whatever and uh, kind of get in line, huh? Yeah, our, our OzRallyPro at gmail.com, um, that goes to both Alex and I. So that email is always our best to use when people want to contact us because Alex and I will both get an email from anyone. So you know, if they email osrallypro at gmail.com, if they forget that, like you say, we have Instagram, we have Facebook, you know, there's ways that you can message on there easy enough. But um, at the end of the day, there's lots of options now with Osrally Pro. There's so many people that have done it um, that have, you know, I, I looked at our stats earlier this year and it was pretty awesome to see what Alex was at one third were female. I think, I think we trained one third of our students were female, which was also really cool for us because 
if you look at the rally community worldwide, I wouldn't think the um, people would be that are participating would be a female base of one third. Um, so to think that there's a lot of females also doing our training for me is really exciting. So I like to think that, you know, because I, I am a female in a sport, well, maybe some of them are encouraged to come do it because, you know, they've got me training them. So it's another female they're working with. So there's lots of positives. There's lots of really cool things. Um, we've, we've trained twins that were 14 years old earlier in the year. So <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. We've had so many cool things happening and, and it's just really exciting. So we just hope that online training will appeal to a few more people and, and we can cater to some people that maybe can't get out here and train with us. So with this experience you've gained from doing this, uh, online version of your training, is there a, a little tip that we can maybe give to uh, drivers or co-drivers while they're doing the social distancing that they can do to uh, maybe, I don't know, just uh, sharpen their skills a little bit uh, while they're sitting around mostly having to do nothing. Well, uh, something that has been really common in the past few weeks, uh, uh, there has been obviously a lot of sim racing. And uh, look, I'm not an expert here, uh, but I know that the latest evolutions of, of simulators and video games have uh, uh, pace notes, uh, co-drivers calling pace notes, you know, so even, even, even playing a game and if you're a co-driver, you are a driver for a couple of hours because you're driving the car and you having the, the you're listening to the pace notes that the co-driver is calling you. Uh, that, that is something that helps, you know, it's something that like, I remember one thing I did. 15 years ago, in order to improve and become a better co-driver, I did a rally as a driver because I wanted to see what it was like to be from the from the driver's side, from the behind the steering wheel, in order to become a better co-driver. So something like that can help. Uh, sim racing is is quite quite common right now, but also the old school things of just watching onboards. I I am a big supporter of watching onboards, and sometimes. You find me like watching on board for a couple of hours, you know, just getting lost on YouTube or WRC Plus and watching on boards and, and learning from other co-drivers. And yeah. And I think some other um, ideas I'm thinking from a teacher's idea, um, from my perspective, I think some cool things that you can do is um, pick up your driver's pace notes. Most co-drivers will have a set at home and write down every single word that they use. And then go through every word and find out what is your abbreviation for that word. And then after you've done that, record yourself saying every single word on your phone and then play it back. And when you play it back, you have to write that word down quickly when you call it back on the phone. And that replicates what you would have to do in recce. And it makes you see if the abbreviation that you've come up with whether you hesitate in writing it when it's said back to you quickly. So, you know, for example, the word slippy, I now use a dollar sign. But when it gets read back to me on the phone, if I hesitated in writing this dollar sign and I didn't write slippy quickly, well, that would mean that it's something I'm going to stumble on recce and I can't mm. use it. So that's a really good learning tool um, and a, a bit of an educational tool, I guess you'd say, that you can do at home anytime and it's just a matter of a pen and paper um, and, and for me it's about practicing your abbreviations, practicing writing them down and it's just you by yourself, you don't need anyone else, you know what I mean? So that would be something I'd try and do and at the same time get a YouTube like Alex said and say it's Harris Creek here and write, play it back to yourself and write down all the notes 
for that person. So you'll stop it and start it and you'll write down their notes and then you'll play it back and you're going to call their notes to that onboard. So then you can practice your abbreviations, you can practice calling notes, and it doesn't matter whose it is. You could be calling, you know, notes to David Higgins, to Travis Pastrana, whoever, but write down what they say. You know, you're going to have to stop and start the video um, and you're going to have to make sure you place your notes well and everything, but just practice those sort of things. There's lots of things you can do. You just have to be creative. Wow. Uh, you heard, heard it here, folks. Uh, that is a fantastic tip. Wow. Mm-hmm. I, I, just, I never thought about that. But yeah, you're right. How critical those abbreviations are uh, when you're out on recce, because there's a lot of detail. I mean, depending on the driver, but many of them like a lot of detail. And uh, that's that's pretty cool. Uh, I, I wouldn't have thought of that. And uh, that, that that's a really cool way to uh, make sure that you're efficient as a co-driver and able to just be able to absorb that information much faster and get it down on paper and have better notes. Yeah, I yeah, like and that. If you, yeah. So, and if you weren't efficient before, maybe after this lockdown you will be. <laughs> <laughs> no excuses. <laughs> no excuses now, exactly. I we like it. You can't keep like up it. on recce. Well, you've just had three months. Yeah, Come on, buddy. <laughs> Well, uh, moving away from the training stuff, um, uh, there's been some excitement over there in uh, Idaho. Uh, gosh, what was it? I think, was it two weeks ago now? Um, things were moving and shaking. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I was actually a bit annoyed because I, I lived in Los Angeles for 15 years. And one, one of the reasons why I moved there, because I was like scared and terrorized of earthquakes and, and, and something we were dealing on a daily basis. And then... Uh, we had a, a 6.5 shake a couple, uh, maybe 10, 12 days ago. It was actually in the middle of a, of online Osrally Pro training. So it was oh, no. funny to to see the, the student <laughs> stopping us and say, are you guys okay? Uh, because we kept talking and, and then we stopped talking as soon as some pictures fell off the wall and the student heard that, you know. And then I had to excuse myself for a couple of minutes and did a quick run around the house, make sure there were no... Uh, you know, gas pipes leaking and things like that, while Rhiannon was still doing the training, you know. So, uh, yeah, it was a bit unexpected. You know, we got some cracks on the wall and on the concrete and everything. But I was a little worried that it was Yellowstone, to be honest. And I was thinking that, okay, in 20 more seconds, we're going to get vaporized here because Yellowstone way. There, you know, there, there is not going to be anything left. And I kept looking east, you know, northeast, but nothing came. So it was just an earthquake. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And Alex said, this may be the last time we see each other if this is Yellowstone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the poor person that we were training had never been in an earthquake himself. And on the screen, like the funny part is, as you guys know how Skype works, like we can see him and he can see the background and he can see our house moving. And <laughs> like... I thought Alex was like bumping his leg up and down and I put my hand on his leg to stop him bump and I'm like, oh, Alex isn't bumping his leg up and down. Like then I, then pictures fall off the wall and the guy we're training is like, are you guys okay? The whole house is moving. Wow. (laughs) And Alex is like, yeah, I think I better go check things. So it was pretty crazy to be honest. Uh, but, But nothing, nothing stops the training class though. Press on regardless. (laughs) (laughs) 
Now that's dedication. We just taught him a huge lesson in rallying, and that was press on regardless, and he laughed so hard. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's brilliant. By the way, Mike, did you feel it over there? Did not. Um, I have felt a earthquake once. Um, Many years ago, gosh, what it's been, 20 years ago now, I was uh, working in a call center, and I was up on a second floor, and um, for... Those of you of an age uh, that remember about 20 years ago, there was one that hit Olympia, centered around Olympia, Washington. And uh, they even got cracks in their Capitol building and all that stuff. And anyways, I just remember I was standing talking on this call and all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, I feel kind of queasy. And I grabbed the back of my chair because I was, you know, standing just to move around a little bit. And I didn't realize at the moment until the person I was talking to, which happened to be in the Seattle area, was like, uh, I think we're having an earthquake. And <laughs> then I kind of put two and two together that the little sway that I felt, you know, uh, you know, was not me feeling suddenly like a little dizzy, was actually the, you know, shockwave of that uh, earthquake coming all the way down to Oregon. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, I, I think that the Cascade Range maybe insulated us a little bit from uh, what was happening uh, out there for you guys. But 6.5, that's... That's not small. That that's a, a good sized quake there, and um, it, from the sounds of it, it, it lasted a good little while. So, yeah, yeah. So it lasted uh, between twenty and thirty seconds. It, it started mellow, and we were cool, still talking on the Skype, you know, online training. Then he went into second gear, and we were like, we we had to make a decision: either jump under the table or carry on. Uh, and then, after a couple more seconds, it stopped. Like, okay. <laughs> but the crazy part for me being a little Aussie we don't get things like this in no. Australia and the only other time I've had one was when I was in New Zealand so it's quite funny it's like we were in New Zealand and I can't remember it was either Otago or I think it was Otago and I, I from memory it was like Otago when Alex and Ken were doing it in like 2015 or something and we're in the hotel room and next second Alex is working on notes and it's the building starts moving and I'm like what is that and Alex is like oh that's just an earthquake because like he's just used to being from like living in California and then when this started this the other day I'm like Oh no! It's one of those earthquake things again. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I didn't think we got them here. And then we did some research, and in 1983 there was a 6.7 from memory. Um, so that was pretty funny that they have been here, but many years ago. So, so, so Rhiannon, how, how's the chooks? <laughs> Yeah, the chooks are really good. They only laid one egg today. I had two eggs yesterday. So I'm a bit of a tennis fan. So they started off as Serena and Venus. But then I got a lot of uh, pressure from Australia considering the number one female tennis player in the world is Ash Barty at the moment. So um, Venus become Barty. So now we have Serena and Barty. Um, and <laughs> it's, uh, so it's actually been quite nice. I, as you guys know, Alex and I live pretty much our life on the road. So things like um, any animals or vegetable patches or anything like that are are virtually null and void for us. So we decided that, you know, a lot of our neighbours have chickens, so we messaged them and and one of them, like, offered up, yeah, that's fine. So we did a little bit of a deal with their five-year-old son and we got a couple of his chickens and it's been fun and we've got a greenhouse with some like little vegetables growing and stuff. So, you know, we, as you guys know, we don't know when this is going to stop, but 
we figured that if we're going to be home, it's been at least four weeks for us now since we got back from Mexico. So, you know, that never happens to us. So we figured we'll make the most of our time and, and enjoy it and do some normal everyday things that a lot of people get to do, which we don't get to do with our lifestyle. So what kind of things have you guys been doing for fun when you're not doing the online trainings? <laughs> oh, I'll tell you, Mike, the property is spotless. <laughs> <laughs> the garage floor is its a mirror. You can you eat know? off it. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, look, we, we, try to, we try to stay on top physically as well and, and in shape. And, and, and one risky thing of living the life that we are living, uh, all of us right now, is it's obviously to gain weight, and uh, for a co-driver, it's not good. So we've been doing a, um, a lot of hikes and runs and, and trying to stay fit uh, as much as possible, but also take care of this, this big property that we have here and, and make sure that everything is tidy. There is no excuses, you know what I mean? So, I mean, uh, and, and after that, we're, we're just waiting, you know, we're just waiting. I've been actually touching base randomly with a couple of the clerical courses of events uh, uh, that are uh, hopefully coming up in the next weeks or months, you know, and trying to see what their um, their point of view on the situation is. You know, we don't know what the government is going to do in the next few weeks if they, they're going to loosen up things and then uh, hopefully we'll all get back to our normal life. So we're trying to understand what the next two, three six months look like and, and trying to come up with a plan and also give our drivers uh, our, our drivers suggestions of which direction to go as soon as things normalize because we, we just don't know what is going to happen with calendars and events and what is going to be cancelled and what is going to be postponed and and things like that but you know we've been keeping busy trying to keep busy and uh, um, and, and I, now that the weather is improving, I'm going to be on a mountain bike a little bit more. And, uh, uh, and, and, and this is helping uh, making the time go by. And look, in all honesty, we are lucky out here. We live on some land and stuff. I know that there's a lot of people even in the rally world that I read their Facebooks and they're struggling quite a bit. And I don't mean to give advice, but I guess from my perspective, like every day try and get out and get some fresh air, even if you're stuck at home, you know, you try and do some exercise if you can, you know, talk to family and friends on FaceTime. It's just in your hand, your phone's there so easy. Even if you're working from home, you know, some people I'm seeing, they're all alone. They have no one else, you know, that they're getting to see with the social distancing. And, and it can be quite depressing for some people. Alex and I have got each other, so we're really lucky, but... I guess from that perspective, um, you know, just try and think of ways to keep yourself positive because, you know, laughing and endorphins and all that sort of stuff's really good for our health. So, you know, I, I'd written earlier on my social media that, you know, just watch a comedy, you know, try and get yourself laughing, try and keep positive. And I know it's really hard for some people. And, and look, Alex and I, we live pretty crazy, stressful, hectic lives. And, and this for us right now is strange because we're obviously out of work at the moment, as many other people are in the country. But I guess what we're just trying to do is is stay positive and look at the the fact that, um, you know, hopefully this will be over soon. But in that time, you know, try and do things to keep your mental health in check as well, because that's obviously one of the biggest problems for people at the moment. So, you know, just try and keep communicating with people, FaceTime, message, you know, if you need help, talk to people. So I think that's really important, especially seeing some of my rally friends that on their Facebook are sort of struggling a bit. So 
I guess that's just some advice from my side. Mm -hmm. Which is also why we do this podcast so we can interact with people and uh, we love doing it. So, yeah, yeah. Listen to Mike's podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> or come join people us. People can catch up on them all, see? There we go. There we go. Good time. Always. Always. Um, you know, actually, I kind of like the last one where we just kind of had a group of people all just kind of kick back and chat about whatever. And uh, maybe we should do more of those. Those those make make the pub chat or something. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, yeah. it's, it's no, great I to have. No, I think that's a good idea because like people that. don't have the pub chat at the moment. You know what I mean? Like, there is no pub. There is no pub. <laughs> Virtual so pub chat. Those, yeah, I think that's a great idea, Mike, because I just feel like at the moment people are missing that, you know. So, um, you know, especially people that do find themselves going out and eating with friends and going for a drink and all that sort of stuff. If they don't have that, that can be quite hard. Alex and I are lucky in a way that we go to a rally and we rally and then we come home and we spend time here together. So for us, you know, it's a lot more time that we're spending here together, but we know how each other works really well. Whereas some people, they leave in the morning at eight o'clock and they both go to separate jobs and then they get home at six or seven o'clock at night and now they're having to spend whole days together so it's, it's a big change for a lot of people and and so even you know having to learn how to get along in the house together is always hard for some people yeah definitely um I, i've had a little bit of an issue here with uh, my wife she works graveyard and so the office is like adjacent to the master bedroom so <laughs> having to make adjustments for the work from home situation but you know we're all trying to make do. Well, there is one one bright side to all this. Though. It's like both my wife and I are working from home, and uh, and uh, she, my wife has like a comp she's got her workstation in the the spare the spare room, which I usually use for recording the podcast. And all of a sudden, there's a really nice comfy chair in this room that I can sit in. <laughs> When, when I'm doing the podcast normally, I'm sat on a card table, card table chair. But now I'm in a nice reclining, plush, comfortable seat. So I'm I'm good with this right now. <laughs> that sounds like the ideal spot for you, then, Ian. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Well, uh, remember, everybody, uh, contact OzRallyPro at gmail.com, and that's how to get a hold of Alex and Rhiannon uh, for your guys' schooling and all that. We were going to talk about some uh, different things that were kind of in the rally news recently, which there isn't a whole lot of it, but there is a bit. Um, I, I know that Alex likes to uh, lend his input on that. Maybe you, uh, Rhiannon, as well. Um, you guys, Would you guys like to stay on for a little bit, or do you guys need to uh, get things wrapped up for the evening? No, no, we, we can join you guys with the rest of the, the news. Yeah, that's fine. All right. Well, uh, the top of the headlines was uh, actually from a couple weeks ago. There is that what we thought was an April Fool's uh, post by David Evans. And that's M Sport talking about developing a Ford Puma, starting with the new uh, regulations to come in 2022. And I guess a good chance to talk about those regulations because um, that's where they're going to have the hybrid technology that they want to put in the cars but it's also a thing where they want to allow the ability to do a uh, a, a tubular chassis that is a um, – I'm trying to remember what the term was. It's a, As long as it's it's like the original car yeah, in look. Scale, but scaled a scale, body. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, body, yeah. So it would be a tube chassis that's a scaled version. 
um, which is an interesting talking point because to me, the core of rallying is that it always had a production car element to it. Yeah, okay, they're stripped down to nothing and then kind of built back together as a race car. But does this stray too far, do you guys think? Uh, I'll start with you, Alex. I mean, what's your thoughts about going to the scaled environment and the thoughts of using a Ford Puma of kind of all vehicles, which I think normally is a, a compact SUV, but still a lot larger than a Fiesta, right? Uh, sorry, Mike, you were breaking up. I think you asked me to answer the question first. Is that correct? That is correct, yeah. Just uh, talking about how the, uh, the the Ford Puma is just uh, is a compact SUV, but definitely a lot, lot larger than a Fiesta is, um, which is their current WRC car. And, and I guess the the thoughts on the fact that doing the scaled size thing instead of an actual production car as a base. Well, uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting approach for sure. And um, the 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 new Puma is a, is a new product uh, for Europe. I'm not entirely sure if it will it will be sold in other markets uh, as well, but. Uh, uh, look, uh, many of those things are dictated by by the sponsors and uh, and by the the marketing teams behind the sponsors. So um, the directions that M Sport wants to go is something that comes uh, directly from the sponsor. I'm sure. Uh, yes, uh, I agree with you. What you said a minute ago, where where I uh, there, there should be a, a, a production car factor in our sport, uh, and um, we don't have uh, that anymore. Meaning, like uh, late eighties, early nineties, where we had a where we had a massive change of rules, and we went from the from the prototypes, the Group B's, the down to production based vehicles, Group N and Group A. Uh, in the nineties proved a very successful time uh, for for our sport with production-based vehicles. There were a lot of fans, a lot of corporate sponsors. Uh, so uh, now rallying at WRC level seems to be uh, between a rock and a hard place, meaning that uh, they're trying to come up with an innovative ideas as far as the regulations, you know, the hybrid that we've been hearing about. But also, uh, they need to keep an eye on uh, on the budgets. Uh, so FIA, you know, it's easy to point the finger at FIA, but let's put ourselves in their shoes. Uh, uh, and they are getting pressure from all sides of the sport, manufacturers, you know, teams, uh, uh, economy. And, and right now, obviously, we're looking at, we're talking about project, which is the Puma and uh, slash M Sport, which I'm sure is, is a project that started months ago. The idea started months ago before this whole um, uh, mess with the pandemic started, which is, is going to also affect the economies around the world. So I'm not sure where that is going to go or, or if the manufacturer or the sponsor behind is going to uh, perhaps think uh, maybe we should just go a different direction or stick to this direction. Obviously, there is a pro a product, a new product, which is the Puma, and and Ford is really strong in promoting all of their product, and it's been like that for 30, 40 years or more. 
through a pro, uh, pushing the product through uh, motorsport and through rallying in particular is something that I appreciate. You know, I work with Ford. I I compete in Ford cars and uh, and I have for many many years. And uh, I like the fact that the, their their sport and marketing heritage includes rallying a lot. So I'm looking forward to see how this uh, Puma project uh, with M Sport develops. But also I'm looking forward to see how the rules develop and the hybrid technology and all that. Uh, luckily, there is still the R5 class, which is not quite a production class, but it's not uh, uh, as extreme as the world rally cars. So uh, I'm looking forward to follow all this. Well, Rhiannon, you're someone that's actually successfully, uh, you know, competed and uh, and won a championship in an SUV. And what, what's your thoughts on? You know, SUVs, albeit scaled or whatever, in competing in uh, rallying, because that is the majority of the market, right? Everything is an SUV now, it seems like. And Ford has actually pretty much their stamp on that they don't want to make cars anymore. They want to make SUVs and trucks, other than the the Mustang, apparently. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, for sure. Obviously, as you guys know, in 2017, I was in a RAV4 with Toyota racing in usa and so you know from a marketing point of view that was the car we had to be in there's obviously um other smaller car options corollas and things like that but from a toyota marketing perspective it was a rav4 and ryan had done two years prior to that in the rav4 and for them it was all about showing off their suv car so you know it was a bigger car it was automatic um they made us run a very stock standard car um as you guys both might have seen at events, you know, from things like we couldn't even make the put smaller mirrors on the car or anything like that. It had to be as you see it, as you buy it, you know. So from my perspective, you know, I was in with a really good driver in Ryan Millen. And even though we're in an SUV that was automatic and and all those sort of things very standard, we were able to win the ARA two-wheel drive championship and also the NASA one. So, you know, we had really good results from that. But um, when you think about it, a lot of the time, um, you know, as we know, we don't have any choice in it. It's all marketing driven. So from that perspective, you know, Ryan went ahead and built a RAV4 that was an open class car um, and he tried some different things, but unfortunately the marketing money wasn't there to keep promoting that that RAV. So, you know, yes, we did it. We won the two-wheel drive championship in 2017. Um, and I think it's at the end of the day, if manufacturers want to come in with cars like this and it means that we have more manufacturers in the sport none of us are going to complain if toyota said they're going to come back in 2021 in in an suv no one's going to complain so i think at the end of the day it's just it's going to be what way the manufacturers push what they want moving forward that we all have to go with and and from my perspective i had a professional ride with toyota and i couldn't care less what kind of car it was in (laughs) as far as you know it was a yeah it was a great opportunity um we were looked after really well we had a fantastic time and whether it was in a rav4 or or a um, corolla it didn't matter to ryan and i because we had an awesome opportunity to work with a manufacturer I mean, if you had a choice between being in uh, what I guess that what GR4 Yaris thing that they're working on, and, or being in you know a, a scaled down SUV, uh, what would be your preference? I mean, it, 
you know, you're talking about how the Subaru is almost like being in a limousine for room. Uh, does that extra space actually uh, add to, like, it's a little extra comfort when you're going up those high speeds? <laughs> well, uh, good question. Uh, look, uh, at my age, I'm actually a co-driver that, that likes to have a lot of car around me. So uh, I won't have a problem with an SUV. <laughs> and Alex went in an SUV in Canada. What was that? It was, um, a... it was Subaru XB, yeah. Yeah, so uh, those cross tech things, whatever, you know, so yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, at the end of the day, they are out there and the open class ones are fast. Like I, I would love to see Ryan's um, RAV4 open class out there. They're obviously um, sponsorship money hasn't allowed it to be, but um, I hope at some stage it can be because obviously he, you know, developed this new RAV4 open class car to um, thinking to run it in 2018 and then obviously that didn't happen and then unfortunately didn't happen in 2019 either so the car's just been sitting there so I'd love to actually see it out there because um, you know it's a different product on the market that is there but at the end of the day it, it all comes down to marketing and budget doesn't it? It does. Ian what's your thoughts on uh, the scale yeah, well, thing? Well, yeah, remember when we talked with Colin Clark, uh, what was that, episode fifth, was that, a, a, a while ago, and yeah, we were talking, the, these, regulation, these regulations about the space frame chassis and the scaled down body had just come out, and Colin was really excited about this, and really excited about the idea of SUV bodies on the tops of these chassis. And if you listen to that podcast, there is this huge silence after he's spoken because we are both thinking, what the heck are you talking about? SUVs are the most <laughs> boring cars on the planet. You know, but... Uh, Says the man true, that owns but, an SUV. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I'm, I'm coming round to this now. You know, I, I thought if Colin's got good good ideas about this then it can't be that bad an idea and i i, I looked around and you know there's a there's a ditko dytko they they make proto 2000 cars out in poland they've got a toyota chr that looks absolutely flipping gorgeous you know it i mean if you're going to get s scaled down suv bodies of this quality these style these looks it's it would be great for the great for the sport and, and don't don't forget i mean it's like the the puma the, the puma rally car is not going to look anything like the puma road vehicle i mean it's like uh, it's like ken's escort cosy you know that doesn't look anything like your standard Ford Escort. Once it's got the big whale tail spoiler on the back and the flared wheel arches. Imagine a Ford Puma with the big wheel arches and the vents on the vents on them and a whale tail spoiler perhaps on the back. It's going to look incredible. Yeah, I mean, I sure. think I, I think it's I think it could be a great a great development for the sport and SUVs is what what people like is what but it's what the market what the market dictates you know and I, I i do i love my little nissan juke and there's a and in europe there's a slightly larger nissan juke coming onto the market so i could see i could see a nissan juke in a scaled down nissan juke with it in the wrc as well i think that would be great it's what it's what it's all just like alex says it's what the uh, the manufacturers and the sponsors want and they want to they want to push their product. It's the old adage, you know, 
win on race on race on Sunday, sell on Monday, or win on Sunday, sell on Monday, or whatever. And uh, they're they're going to drive 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 the oh, there's a pun for you. They're going to drive <laughs> what happens. They're going to drive what happens in the uh, in the sport. And as long as the cars look good and exciting and fast, maybe even mean, you know, I think it's going to be great for the sport. Yeah, and if it brings more manufacturers in, we're all in. Like that's you know, if if we can get more manufacturers out there purely because there's more of an SUV base, I think that's fantastic. Do you think we've gone too far away from what well, if we keep going this direction, um, or is there even relevance in it being a production chassis? Then, as long as the body has some aspect of what the production car. I guess somewhat looks like in some small way. I mean, I guess with the aero kits and the wide body kits and things like that, you're right. The, the, the Fiesta WRC car, it looks only somewhat like a Fiesta, you know, road car. I mean, the elements are all there, but definitely it's, it's expanded upon that. I mean, I guess, are we just, I, you know, I guess for someone like me, that's trying to be a little bit more of a traditionalist here. Is it just a, a you know, losing battle at this point? You know what? Let's just do space frames where it's a tubular chassis like NASCAR does. And, you know, it technically could be even safer that way, uh, depending on how they build it. Um, and you could put, you know, I guess your suspension mounts wherever you want to make the cars handle better and all that stuff. I guess should we just, just like, you know, throw the throw it out the window as far as what was considered a, uh, you know, a, a chassis that came from, from the production car. Start from scratch. Everybody gets to build something uh, within some sort of cost envelope, I guess, and have some elements that just looks like a little bit like the production car and just go with that into the future. Um, I, I struggle with that. I really do. I don't want to be – I don't want rally racing, which still uses pub, you know, closed public roads, which still has some sort of connection to the real world, like the cars that are racing on them. I, I personally have a tough time – going the route of a NASCAR concept of just tubular chassis for things. But at the same time, yeah, you could kind of build anything. Maybe more manufacturers get behind it. I, I To me, I, I struggle really hard with this. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good point, Mike. And, and let's not forget, I do agree with everything you're saying, but let's also forget the safety aspect of a uh, racetrack circuits in 30 35 years have progressed so much and they got so much safer stages are the same that they were 50 years ago when the sport was born right the roads don't change uh you have cars so we we went away in the, the mid late 80s from the group b's because they were too dangerous and people were losing their lives now we are we have a, a war rally car right now that is an extremely fast car. And I did one rally in 2018 with it. And those cars is just even hard to comprehend the speed they're traveling. So two years from now, the cars are going to be even faster than they are now. So I don't want to forget and let's not forget about the safety aspect do we need, and this may be a different subject, but do we need, do they need to slow things out a little bit right now, just like we did in 1986? Let's not forget some of the big accidents that have been in the past 12, 
uh, 18 months, especially the one that was uh, with uh, Tanaka in Monte Carlo this year, which uh, from my experience, I can tell you those boys were extremely lucky to get away with it uh, without scratch, you know. So uh, maybe maybe we need to think about And yes, cars are getting safer and all that, but the speeds are getting much faster and the roads aren't changing. You're still flying by little walls and trees and, you know, and drop-offs and everything. So hopefully, the, and I'm sure they are keeping the safety aspect in mind as well. I'm not talking about the manufacturers building the car, but right now I'm talking about FIA as far as slowing things down a little bit. That's why when the rumor came that FIA was torn between going the next step up in the World Rally car or scaling down to a sort of like an extreme R5, I was like, uh, maybe this could be a good time to go towards a, a little bit faster or more extreme looking R5 car. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, I know. I was watching, you know, talking about the Tanak crash there, and um, I don't know if guys actually feel like there's an air of invincibility for them in the in modern wrc cars there because you watch you watch tanak and yaviola sat in the car there as it's doing its rolling and it's spinning and it's there oh, martin yaviola certainly to an extent he's just sat there and he's not bothered and he's just waiting for it to end you know as, as it seems like it does seem like everything is so safe in there right now and maybe we're getting a bit complacent with with the safety because we're not having a because every serious accident we have everybody walks away from that, that perhaps we do need to slow down before a really big dangerous accident does happen you know that's a good point that you bring up ian uh from that standpoint is one thing that i really distaste about nascar is that they built those vehicles so safe um and the court track themselves as well as uh, as alex was pointing out that there is little to no consequence from their standpoint of running into other people and they feel completely invincible and you know i was talking with um uh, I can't remember who it was i was talking up at uh, actually around there when we were up there for the test uh, that you're at rhiannon and we were just talking about, you know, the, the sport and has its, how it's progressed over the years. And, you know, the current WRC cars are the safest they've been. Um, the, the cages are better than they've ever been. The, you know, the safety cell around the driver and co-driver are very good. The speeds have definitely come up a bit. But technically speaking, as far as top speed goes, they're slower than the 2016 era cars because the arrow slows them down um, as far as top speed goes. But they can definitely accelerate more more quickly and through the corners with the arrow, they can maintain speed, which is, of course, corners is where you're going to probably have more of an issue. But um, yeah, I think the era of invincibility, if you make it sometimes too safe, can also be an issue. And there's other ways you can get rid of that. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of IndyCar and whatnot, and one thing that they've done, you know, is like, okay, well, one way to control speed, we've got the same horsepower, and they're actually going to up the horsepower on the cars, but they take away arrow, so the cars are harder to control, and drivers have to stay within the limits of what kind of grip they can get, um, or they'll change the tire. The tire might not have as much grip as it used to, so there's other elements you can, other than trying to bring the power down, you know, from the performance of the engine to 
kind of force that slower speed, right? Yeah, and I mean, in a WRC, when you think about it, sometimes we're on a harder compound than we'd like to be on as far as performance-wise because, you know, you're on a tyre that's going to last the distance and things like that. So in a way, by having tyre numbers and things like that, it means that a lot of the time you might be on a harder compound than what really suits the conditions at the time. Um, so that obviously slows you down as far as that's concerned. But when you think about it, like Alex has been in these latest cars in 2018, like he said, and and we're really good friends with a lot of the top drivers and co-drivers. And most of them, when we speak to them, I'm, I'm sure they feel very safe in the car and stuff, but they also say that, you know, it, it's just so fast that it's when you're at those speeds, like you know, there's not much room for error, you know? So like, the little error that Tanak made at Monte Carlo, like it was just insane how big that crash was and those boys got out safely. But it just shows that at those speeds that they're doing now, and even though, like you said, Mike, the top speed isn't maybe as high as the 2016 car, our cornering speed and things like that are so much higher. So there's greater risk in, in other areas that there wasn't before maybe. So, you know, it, it's a hard one because – in all honesty, I don't. I don't think the cars need. I, I'm in agreement with Alex. I would like to see a a class that's more affordable. That's maybe between the R5 and the World Rally car, um, and you could see more privateers being able to afford it. And you would see more cars out there, maybe more manufacturers, because the cars aren't so expensive. Like the cars at the moment are just so expensive, and so you know, people like M Sport, it's a battle for them. I'm I'm sure to keep going all the time. They've got virtually, you know, three drivers that are bringing money to the table. It's a full privateer team now. So, you know, I, I personally would like to see the sport come back a little bit and, and like, like Alex discussed, be between an R5 and a world car and find a, a happy place there. One of the favorite topics for Ian is uh, electrification. And uh, I wanted your guys' input on the hybridization going forward um, because I think there's a safety aspect to that too. Uh, obviously, we, we've seen hybridization going on for a while now when it comes to Formula One um, and other circuit-type tracks, but we really haven't seen it kind of in this open format that we have that's in stage rally. Uh, I guess, are, are there any thoughts on that, or do you think we've there's been enough of it that, I guess, from, from a safety standpoint, they've kind of figured out a lot of the issues that uh, could probably come along when it comes to that? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good subject, and um, to me, uh, it, it's it's an area that I like because, I, and I think we should go that direction because uh, obviously we need to keep in mind uh, how to make cars consume less less fuel or being more efficient, and uh, and to do that in motorsport as well is something that sets a good example. For you know, in general, even for the spectators that go to a rally and, and see that that sort of technology is applied, one thing that worries me a little bit is the costs again. And and we again we, we were we're looking at a situation now that is not as good as it was three four months ago. So will there be less money at the top of the sport in uh, twelve months from now? Will there be less commitments as far as budgets? How will that play up um, when it comes to applying and developing hybrid technology? I do like 
hybrid technology. And recently, uh, I was really impressed by the comments that Ken told me about when he actually drove a full electric vehicle in one of the stages at Dakar. I, I, I like this stuff. I mean, I, I'm a big uh, uh, RC car enthusiast. I remember when I started, my cars used to run on nitro. Now my car is an electric RC car and it goes faster than it used to. You know, the technology and the improvement has been so good. Uh, and it can only get better, but the costs are something that uh, worries me, and I'm sure it worries also team and manufacturers as, as well. But uh, the product that they're selling is hybrid, so uh, that, I guess, needs to be reflected. Uh, their marketing department wants the, the race car to reflect that sort of technology as well. I was, going, I was going to ask you about the Extreme E, Ken's experiences with the Extreme E car, because uh, he he drove that and he drove the uh, Mustang Mark E. And he, I don't know whether it was just for, for the film, but he, he really seemed to enjoy driving both, both those electric vehicles. Yeah, look, we spoke briefly about Ken and I, I just asked him his impressions and everything. He was really impressed by both vehicles, especially the uh, the Mustang. Uh, um, it's something that it, I think that that sort of technology and that sort of progression is something that he appreciates the technology and the engineering side of it. And again, he's conscious of the fact that uh, motor vehicles in the future to be uh, well seen and to be to fit in, in our in our future and in our future society they need to be uh, vehicles that, that that consume less and they create less uh, um, uh, less issues with the environment so it's something that he, he appreciates that and he likes that uh, but he, he was impressed by both vehicles you know uh, look guys at the end of the day I that is that technology is coming you know five years from now i believe it will be something common that we talk about not only the top cars in the sport the top class in the sport but also national level i mean we have a, a driver like hayden Padnock that is developing and he's not far from finishing i mean we're talking about he may debut the car in the next six months a fully electric rally car because uh, Hyundai, uh, which is his main sponsor, has pushed for him to do that. So that car is at an advanced state of development and we may see an electric rally car uh, on stages even before we see a hybrid rally car at the top of WRC. So that's coming. I, I knew he was developing that car, but we haven't heard much from him. It's been kind of silent for a while. So yeah, it's nice to hear that uh, progressing because yeah. we haven't heard a lot. Uh, it's been a bit of a top secret, but recently, like last week or two weeks ago, he posted some something on his Instagram stories, and it looked like a Fairbanks development. And some of his wording was also that he would like to put the car on a rally before the end of the year. That's incredible. Wow. That's, wow. that's impressive uh -huh. development there. Well, I must say one thing. You know, you won't be burning fuel, but uh, Ken will burn in a lot of tires because all the torque you could want when it comes to electric. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just looking at his Instagram here, and it says EB Rally Build Update, and it says at the end, it says um, to be debuted late 2020. Well, that's that's exciting news. Uh, I, I guess one, the only other thing that I kind of have a, a concern about is, you know, obviously sound is something that's, you know, big on our sport. We've talked about it on the show before, but, yeah. you know, uh, I, I used to race RC cars too, and they just sound so far sound like big RC cars and uh, radio control cars and. Um, yeah, it, it, that, that'll be a very different aspect. 
to have to our sport. And I, I can, I'm concerned a little bit from a safety aspect of people not hearing cars coming, which is another issue. But, you know, I guess that's why we close the stages and we have marshals and things like that. But, uh, yeah, a car can really kind of come out of nowhere, I guess, when they're <laughs> coming super fast and they're uh, super silent electrics. But, uh, yeah, that's... Uh, an interesting future, and uh, look forward to seeing what uh, Hayden Patton comes up with. If there's anybody that could debut something, it's him and his his group there. They they work pretty darn hard at developing stuff. Um, wanted to uh, a little bit of reflect back here. Um, so our next subject I was going to bring up is you know it's what 25 years since Colin McRae's win uh in, of the championship in the WRC, and we've seen a number of reflections uh, stories kind of coming up. I, I wasn't following Rally in 1995, and hell, I unfortunately uh, wasn't following Rallying until after he had sadly passed away. Uh, I did end up, you know, eventually getting one of the Colin McRae Rally games. That kind of started my understanding of Rallying, but, you know, when I was younger, Rallying was just that thing they did in Europe. I didn't even know that Oregon Trail Rally was in my backyard and all that stuff. Uh, but I, I, first of all, I want to do a big shout out to our friends over at Absolute Rally. They did this really cool podcast documentary series, which had a combination of everybody from co-drivers to team bosses from that era and all these different people from media and all that stuff that kind of reflected on that uh, time period. And I guess I wanted to know, well, he came over to the States and whatnot, and Ken Block was a good friend of Colin McRae. Uh, Alex, did you know Colin? Yeah, 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 we were teammates uh, for a couple of uh, events. Uh, they were X Games events, which one uh, included some forest stages and the other one was just a run uh, uh, in a stadium. But I actually sat. I sat with Colin on a day of testing. Uh, um, uh, so I had a, a first-hand experience of, with, with the man and the driver uh, and, and, and the, the legend that, that he was. You know? So it was, a, it was a privilege for me. Uh, to work with him, to sit with him for a full day of testing, and something that uh, I'll never forget. And uh, and and, and uh, uh, it's, it, it was it was great to com- commemorate, you know, the, the the fact that he won the the 1995 uh, World Championship with that episode of. Um, uh, absolute rally and uh, and actually after I, I listened to that I, I went to YouTube and I looked I watched the entire 1995 1995 uh, WRC season and 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 event by event his success and and him winning the world championship so uh, yeah it's something it's definitely a legend that has left a mark in our sport everybody knows about him and everybody knows about his style and and and, and his full-on 100 percent approach to the sport uh, suddenly missed you know but uh, it, it is someone that left a big mark in our sport for uh, older generation newer generation people the teenagers that approach the sport now learn who he was so how, how big of a person of a, of a legend can you be i mean when when uh, you know everybody knows about you so what was it that made him so legendary i mean again i'm coming from a person that unfortunately didn't get a chance to know about him until after he was gone uh he, he seemed like just had this infectious maybe enthusiasm or drive that because when he won it suddenly rally was mainstream yeah, I think the, the, the legendary status, 
he gained that, that by his his approach, his a hundred percent approach, and, and and he was competing against drivers in that particular era that uh, uh, didn't necessarily have that status, and they were drivers that were more calculated drivers. Ewa Kankonen and Carlos Sainz, and and then there were him and Tommy Mackinnon, you know, and uh, uh, and those two were always a hundred percent, where the other two were uh, more calculated. And then you had the French drivers, you know, Didier Oriol and Gilles Panizzi, and those guys that were more specialized drivers, or the Scandinavians like Kenneth Eriksson. But Colin had it all, you know, and and he was able to win on every surface. And he won on every surface, but he was also known for uh, the big crashes and everything. And, and and in our sport, fortunately, unfortunately, actually, it's something that excites the fans a lot. So you have here this legend that not only wins and, and he can win and on his good day, it, no one can match him, but also it, it will not entertain, but it will provide the fans with this shocking these incredible crashes that were the biggest crashes in the sport he crashed bigger than anyone else and he won bigger than anyone else so him and Mackinnon sort of like gained that legendary status you know people know more those two especially Colin because sadly Danny ended up passing away uh, they know more them than they know more Yua Kankonen for example uh, although Yua won more than the Colin that that's what I think made him such a legend and so known from everyone in the sport and outside the sport. Ian, what's uh, your reflections as the one that's followed rallying since pretty much birth? Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, so, uh, when 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 we get guests on the show, you know, I do joke with people, you know, when they come on the show and we asked them how they got into rally and they say it was McRae that got them interested in rally and uh, and I'll joke with them and say well I remember his dad Jimmy you know uh, uh yeah I I this is what I do like to hear from people you know that the uh, that this Scotsman awakened awakened their interest in rally I mean that's rally rally in America is probably it is what it is because of because of Colin because people saw him in that 2006 X Games performance, you know, I've I've got friends who are were actually working the controls and the mark marshalling points there, and you know, they, they all, everybody talks about that like in, in 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 hushed reverential terms. It was like it was that was so great. They've like never never really seen anything like that before, and uh, you know, the fact that this quiet unassuming scotsman privately could could awaken awaken a whole country a whole nation to, to the excitement of our sport that's that's something that's that's, that's something i take from take from it i'm not don't know particular real memories about him competing but what he's what he's done for the sport since then you know do you recall where you were in that 1995, you know, when he won that championship? Do you remember the headlines or anything like that, uh, either of you? Because, again, <laughs> I wasn't around to watch it. 
Not really. Uh, for no. me, I, I, I was, uh, I had just moved to the U.S., so I wasn't actually very close. I was living and working in Florida, uh, so I was at a stage of my life where I had just made a big move from Italy to the U.S., so I was adapting. So uh, sadly, I, I remember following, but not following as close as I, I would have liked to follow. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think I was pretty much pretty much the same. I was in a at a point in my life where I was I was actually like getting ready to come to America that 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 sort of time. So uh, you know, I do remember sadly when he like passed away, I do remember seeing that the news of the helicopter crash was on was on the front page of many many of the English newspapers. I remember the crazy part for me was I was racing in the Australian Rally Championship and Alistair McRae, um, Colin's brother, was living in Australia because he actually married an Australian girl and he lives in Australia. And I still remember he was at the event. He wasn't participating, but he was there. To, he'd come to see, you know, what the Australian Rally Championship was about and then all of a sudden we hear Alistair's had to leave because he was going to come around and talk to teams and get their ideas and things, you know, that he's had to leave because, you know, Colin's been in a helicopter accident. So we heard it firsthand with Alistair being there. So it was quite shocking because here you are, like, really excited to think here's Alistair McRae at the Australian Championship possibly going to think about doing it the following year and now all of a sudden this has happened to his brother. So... You know, that for me was my memory. I can still, you know, how I can remember where I was when Lady Diana died. I can remember where I was when Colin McRae died. It's funny how things happen like that. But I still remember that point in time because he was always such a big name in any rally household, I guess. So uh, that was something that I'll never forget. Well, that 90, 1995 season was definitely something very memorable. A lot happened. There was the Toyota having to be... Uh pulled out with their cheater turbo thing there was a lot that happened in 1995 uh and uh yeah that recap that they did in absolute rally uh i encourage everybody to uh, listen to it uh they, some great episodes there and and we always love the guys over there and every now and then they have us come on and uh chat about how things are going over on over here in the americas uh, and then uh, another bit that came up was a recent article um our good friend colin clark who you know, comes from what was WRC Live Radio, then to All Live, and now is with the Dirtfish Media Group. And he was uh, trying to make a case that, you know, maybe WRC Live Radio should return. And I was all over this because, again, personally, my opinion is that uh, there's a severe lacking, I think, that All Live is great. You can watch the onboards and all that stuff, but... I don't know, there's something that the radio gave me that was different. There's a level of interaction, um, a level of anticipation because you didn't see what was going on all the time. And it had this level of convenience for me. Like, it, being over here on the west coast of the U.S., uh, we are often eight, nine hours away from most rallies that are part of the championship. And being able to listen to those through the live radio or, or not necessarily even live, you know, download them as a podcast or whatever and kind of listen stage by stage. I could still do yard work on the weekend or whatever, keep up with what's going on. And I found that to be a, a, an incredible way to follow the rally 
and get all the information of what was going on, get all the intensity that you would get even... I'd still go and watch the videos afterwards, but I don't know, there's something about radio to me. I've always been a huge... When I was a kid, we used to mute the TV and listen to watch the Blazers um, play, the NBA team here, and there was Bill Shonley, who was the radio voice guy that would do the play-by-play. So we'd turn on the radio and mute the TV and watch the action that way because there was something that radio gave you that had this connection that I think sometimes we rely too much on the visual and you miss something. I don't know. That's me. Oh, the old the old adage is that the pictures are better on radio because commentators are so much better at creating the picture because you don't have you can't see anything so it's down to the commentator's voice and their abilities to dis- describe things i mean it's like going I, I don't know if rhiannon's up on up on if you're ever up on test cricket but you've got like legendary australian commentators like richie benno and you could listen to richie commentate a test match and you honestly you just didn't need didn't need pictures at all no i was actually thinking when mike mentioned what they used to do my mum and dad would always turn the cricket down and we'd listen to richie or you know the afl football the same thing we would always listen to the radio versus the tv Mm -hmm. commentators and i do agree with you mike there's a different feeling you get from it and one thing i i think is that because you know we're not seeing the picture i feel like the commentators explain it and they feel so much passion with the delivery because they're trying to let us feel what they're feeling by what they're seeing you know so i feel like you feel a lot more passion and and that comes through when we're listening to radio versus tv where you know the commentators know what that we're seeing it so sometimes there's not that same feeling and passion that comes through them that we would feel that we do in radio. I I think you said that a hundred percent perfect. That, that I think that's exactly what's missing right there. Is that is is that thing right there? Is that uh, they describe it in a way because they know that you can't see it. And uh, yeah, I, I think it. I wouldn't call it a laziness, but knowing what you can see on the TV. And and I would also say that the other way I would put it is. It's a narrower lens, is how I would put it. Um, when you're relying on that onboard camera as your view, there, there's so much more to see, and their words, to me, can expand that lens to be much more broad, a big wide angle, and, and get you more of a feel of what's uh, going on with the event. And yeah, I miss it. Uh, they even, for a while, uh, what they did for last year, when they came out with the All Live, and they had the radio piece ended up being just a stream of the TV audio, the, the all live audio um, go through. And that just so missed the mark. And it showed what you were describing, Rhiannon, how different that is. Because somebody, again, commentating for what they're seeing on the television versus someone having to describe it just from what they can see fr- from where they are out in the field is very, very different. Yeah, like you think about when we used to have Rally Radio 
and Colin, we couldn't see it, and Colin could see the car coming towards him, and it's got damage, and it's got all of these things going on. And so our first information about it would be Colin going, oh, my gosh, there's damage to the front of the car. There's, you know, and so we're all waiting in anticipation to then hear what the driver says of what's happened, whereas now we watch it live, and we're like, oh, oh it hit a rock in there, or, oh, Terry went off, you know, and all this, so we're actually seeing it happen versus them having to give us the drama that's involved with what's going on when that car turns up at the end of the stage. And and the splits, when Bex would give the splits, there was, seemed like there was a more intensity to it um, versus them being able to watch, again, live uh, what's going on through it. And I'm not saying all live should go away by any means. I think it's a, it's a great tool. I think it's a great thing to watch. I go back and try and watch them when I can. Um, albeit they're only available for, you know, up until the next rally runs. And so you can't really watch them for more than, uh, well, I guess you got 20, 30 days to, to watch them in. Uh, so that's a little bit of a frustration there. But yeah, I, I think they're just th- that anticipation factor, that drama factor, I think is what's missing. And, and again, uh, th- I think that, that um, the convenience factor for me was, you know, radio had this level of also interaction the the Twitter thing was huge back when they were doing more of the live radio. I could send a message, and you know, honestly, the reason why I know Colin Clark is through Twitter and through WRC Live Radio, right? He comes on our show because, and he came to Oregon Trail Rally, came to a U.S. event because of the fact that I got to interact with him because radio allowed that, it allowed this time gap between when the cars would come and him being able to reply about certain things. Um, and and it just had this level of conversation, I think, with the listening audience that was just different than what you get with a constant stream of video. And uh, yeah, it's I I I think it could be a value. His argument that he said in the article was that look, you've got other uh, sports that have an audio stream that goes alongside with it. You know, we mentioned how basketball has done that. Um, uh, football has done that. Uh, he was talking about golf for him. Uh, he likes to, you know, while he's out doing some stuff on a, on a weekend, he's a, he follows golf and he listens to radio commentary that, and that's just alongside what's being televised um, as a separate thing, but uh, kind of helps also promote the television thing. So people will come back and then watch those uh, stages or, you know, uh, different uh, holes that he's watching, you know, that were dramatic, I guess, with the golf game. So I, I see it as something that could support people maybe buying more of uh, WRC All Live, maybe, because right now the only way to follow anything, at least from the States, is behind a paywall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's like I would, I mean, like I said, the rallies are going on when, when well, I'm in the middle of America, so the rallies are going on when I'm at, I'm at, I'm at work, when there's like Thursday, Friday of the, of the events. And uh, yeah, I can't really have... WRC live on my iPad at my at my desk. Well, I probably yeah, could now at home, but <laughs> I mean, but yeah, you know, it's like so. Yeah, the radio would be great. You know, I can have WRC radio on my iPhone and ear my earbuds in, and uh, I'm not going to bother anybody. Yeah, so uh, there's all. De- and whereas now it's like I'll just have, I just check when I'm at work. I just check like the text the text feed every 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 10 15 minutes or so and yeah that's not the same at all agreed agreed 
So I think we're all in favor of bring WRC Live Radio back, right? Or if not, Dirtfish seems to be doing all the media these days. So if they want to do it, uh, I'm game for that too. <laughs> Great Dirtfish. <laughs> That's right. Hey, here, here. I'm. You know, they've. Uh, you build a better mousetrap. I'm okay with that. I I really have no arguments. Although what I find funny is that ever since Dirtfish started doing this stuff, I don't think I've ever seen so many posts from wrc.com until <laughs> Dirtfish started doing their own stuff. It's like, oh, huh, suddenly you try and step up when you've got competition, eh? Yeah, and that's the thing. They actually have competition, so it's a good thing. It definitely is, definitely is. Uh, back to our uh, remembrance subjects here. Um, well, Mr. Ian Holmes, uh, you wanted to remember also another legend, a, a probably one of the greatest motorsports drivers of all time. Uh, well, uh, yeah, Sir Sterling Moss. I'm going to say that I consider him the greatest motor racing driver of, of all time. Yeah, I mean, his career ended before i was even born you know he crashed in 62 and i was born in 63 uh, but his effect on 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 the sport on, in fact on the nation really on on england you 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 knew about him you, what what happened was you like you you, you learned about sterling moss and his uh, his his feet like through osmosis you know he was such like like McRae, he was such an outstanding, outstanding person. He was so big in 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 his field. It's just, even when we talk these days, you know, about motor racing drivers, they're like so they're so specialized. You know, you're either going to single seater racing or you do sports cars. You know, you'll start off in karting, you'll go to Formula Ford, Formula Three, or and then if you're good enough, you'll go into Formula One, or you'll do a one make sports car event and if you're lucky you'll get all the way up to the wrc uh, the wec sorry but i mean this in moss's time you drove each different type of car like over a weekend in fact the moss you would drive sports single seaters and sports cars over the same day you know so um it was you can say it was a different time back then, but I mean, driving ability is driving ability. You know, I was I was leafing when when I got the news of his passing on Sunday. I was leafing through a book of his. It's got all my races, and it has all of his races. He had an incredible phot photographic recall of all of his races, and all his races were listed in the performance, and um, and he would add comments. Uh, in 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 the book about each individual race and do you know in the 1952 alpine rally so we're not getting away from rally here you know in the 1952 alpine rally he and uh, co-driver john cutts they were like 26 minutes down on time because they'd like broken the exhaust in the car and they had to repair it but he still finished the event on time with no penalty points well, I mean, by his own admission, he was like driving 10 tenths on these alpine mountain roads, making his co-driver seasick. But he still managed to get, managed, still managed to come away with a gold cup. And he came away with the gold cup three consecutive years. And the, this is back in the days when the Alpine Rally was considered like probably the toughest of the European rallies. 
you know, it's like um, it was considered probably tougher than Monte Carlo. And Monte Carlo, he had a second and a sixth place as well, by the way. I think the yeah. thing that um, the thing that uh, Sterling Moss is going to be remembered for in the rally world is his record-breaking performance in the Mille Miglia in 1955 with uh, Dennis Jenkinson as his co-driver, because that's when co when pace notes were introduced to the world of rally. You know, a, um, this was the first time pace notes had ever been seen, and Dennis Jenkinson and Sterling had been out for the previous couple of days wrecking the road and making making the notes. And then Dennis came up with this incredible, like, roller roller thing that uh, he rolled the pace notes through as he read them. It wasn't a, wasn't a pace note book. He has some kind of, like... Uh, Almost like roll, Dakar roller. has for, like, yeah, motorcycle like, guys? Yeah, like Dakar has. Yeah, yeah, it was like that. So he had that, and... Uh, yeah, you know, he was doing. He was in the car for like ten hours and seven minutes, reading pace notes like this, and he was giving hand signals to Sterling because they found out that when they had radio in those days, but they found out when Sterling was concentrating on the driving, he couldn't hear what Dennis was saying. So Dennis had to like give him hand signals. So if anybody's ever been in a rally car and given hand signals. To the driver, I've, I've, I've had to do it, but Dennis was having to do this for like ten hours. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. So yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm, I, I was Wallace looking. In his hand. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean, if you see the pictures at the end of the at the end of the race, Sterling look, looks bright, quite bright and cheerful and happy, and poor old Dennis looks absolutely shattered. <laughs> it must have. Been... <laughs> But yeah, I was, I was looking. Story. Yeah, thanks for sharing it with us. <laughs> so, but I mean, I, I was looking at his his um, re results from like 1955. He like was the Mille Miglia. He was first place in that in 55. And the British Grand Prix, he won the British Grand Prix. He came second in the Swedish Grand Prix, second in the Belgium Grand Prix, second in the Dutch Grand Prix, and then to top it all off, he won the Targa Florio as well. So, and in between, in between all this. He was going over to British race courses, British race tracks, and he was racing his Formula Three car or his or a saloon car, just mixing with the ordinary guys. I mean, it's it's an incredible thing, and it's like my favourite story about Sterling Moss is yeah, this is one of the, I mean about the osmosis. It's like. Who do you think you are, Sterling Moss? That was this was it was a story in England that if any any policeman pulled you over for speeding, the first thing that they were going to say to you was, "Who do you think you are, Sterling Moss?" And this would be like ten, twelve, fifteen, twenty years after he'd after he'd retired. His abilities and his his achievements were were like ingrained in our in the, in the national psyche. You know, it's amazing. Oh, that's how I really first heard of Sterling Moss was that, that joke. You know, I was at the uh, 2014 revival at Goodwood, and oh, there we go. Everybody drink. There you go. Got to we have the Goodwood kid. reference. <laughs> well, yeah, it has it to happen at least once every episode. <laughs> I was waiting <laughs> he for was, it. <laughs> yeah, <I'm sure. laughs> he was there, you know, and 
the rever when he came out on, onto the track and drove a car, the reverence with which he was treated, the cheering and everything was was amazing, you know. And uh, the next year, I was over at Lime Rock for the historic car meet, and he was there signing a book. And the line to get the book signed was the longest I'd ever seen, you know. So I mean, this is like 60, 60 years after he'd retired, and he still garnered that kind of level of interest and fandom it's it was really was a truly legendary person you know i was quite surprised that his passing hit me as 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 much as it did because you know he's 90 years old he was ill i mean he was he was going to go sometime but uh yeah it was still a big big shock to me and i think yeah i i, I will consider him the greatest motor race greatest all-round motor racing driver to have ever lived so do uh either of you have a person that's your i guess legend that uh you you garner as your uh racing hero uh well it, it is something that at a certain at a certain level i consider them all you know but i i never really focus personally on one driver I, I i just am my each driver that reaches the top or leaves a mark in our sport or or in motorsport in general or or, or a motorbike rider you know that, that leaves a mark to me gives something to 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 sport to motorsport and and i take that little something from each of them so i don't really have um, a, 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 a driver that I consider a legend. I do appreciate drivers like Sterling Moss, the drivers that are able, or, or, or John Surtis, that are able to uh, achieve the top of the sport, uh, a top in, in different disciplines, you know, uh, uh, endurance, you know, Formula One, rallying. I mean, when you look at Sterling Moss's career in rallying, it wasn't very long, but he finished every single rally that he entered. And there were r tricky rallies, like three times he competed in Monte Carlo, uh, a couple of times the Tour de France, you know, he competed as a co-driver as well, you know, then he goes and, like Ian was saying a moment ago, he's just endurance racing, you know, Mille Miglia and, uh, and Formula 1, Formula 2, Formula 3, so these are the type of drivers that are that I admire a lot, the John Surtis, you know, in recent years, a driver that is no, is not a driver that perhaps is known by many, but is a driver that has achieved results in, in, in different disciplines is, uh, and I, I respect a lot is, is Nasser Alatia, the driver from Qatar, where he's been a world champion in WRC2 and production world champion, and then he's gone and, and then won the Dakar a couple of times, but he's also an Olympian that uh, has uh, got bronze in, in skeet in, uh, at the Olympics, and it's something that has nothing to do. So imagine the level of talent that he's got, that he's able to achieve the top in, uh, uh, in in many different disciplines, you know. So these are the type of drivers that I admire, and uh, to me, they are they leave a mark for sure. And if I think about someone, mine thinking is a little bit different. Like someone who I personally have looked up to a lot in my career has been Fabrizia Pons. And when I look at her, like she's done Dakar, which I trained with her um, for you know Dakar training um, back in 2015. From memory, that was. Someone like her, for a woman in motorsport like I am, who's, you know, 
really pushed to try and be at the top like she was. She's someone that, you know, I really idolise and she's someone that I always would love to work to be what she has been in the sport of rally. So, you know, if I think about someone who I've really looked up to and idolised throughout the years, for me it's been Fabrizia Pons and what she's achieved as a woman, a female co-driver, I guess, in, in the sport of rally where, as you guys know, in the WRC, you know, there's hardly a woman to be seen. So she's been someone that... I've really looked up to. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, there's her and, um, gosh, now it's slipping my brain. I had it a, a second yep, ago. Uh, thank you. Yeah, the one that would co-drive yeah, for uh, yeah. for Henning She's Solberg great. so often. She's amazing. Yeah. 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 Always, Both always of those women have, have done really well. So they've been women that I've definitely looked up to. Both of them. Well, uh, as far as me for racing heroes, um, you know, I guess similar to what, uh, you know, I guess being a, as a kid and whatnot, names that you hear and whatnot, here in the Pacific Northwest, there wasn't, I guess, as much racing uh, other than the Indy cars would come to Portland National Raceway. Uh, so I do remember that a little bit. So obviously Mario Andretti, kind of like you were saying, Ian, uh, what do you think? You're driving like Mario, right? So that was kind of the American version of that. Um, <laughs> but... It, for sure, right? Uh, even my dad would joke is, uh, you know, my mom would be driving fast. He'd be like, okay, Mary Andretti, you know, kind of as a joking <laughs> term, right? <laughs> That's good. Right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I like but, that. <laughs> but uh, really, I, I guess the ones that I bonded with were ones closer to my age as I was, you know, um, you know, a teenager and starting to follow motorsports more um, or a young adult was um, – and unfortunately, both of them, uh, well, one of them passed away and, and the other one had a, a major injury was um, I really liked Greg Moore. Uh, he was from Canada and was the young aspiring driver that had just signed a deal with Penske and he just such raw talent. And I, I, I always wanted to see him race and I, I was excited to follow him because I think he was literally like born like a week before I was. So his age was very similar to mine. And, uh, and, and so that was just something I just followed really closely his career. And then unfortunately, uh, he, a really bad accident and, uh, he was killed and it just, it, you know, it was horrible to see. And then my, my next favorite was that in, infectious enthusiasm, which is still there of Alex Zanardi and Zanardi is, even though he lost his legs in that terrible accident that he had, um, uh, in that race in Germany, I believe it was. Uh, when they went and did the oval that they created over there as IndyCar was, um, it wasn't called IndyCar, I guess the CART uh, Championship Series, you know, it was kind of going global. Um, but man, that guy, you didn't have, it, not only was he just super determined and was just a demon behind the wheel, he had this just enthusiasm and excitement and I, I, I guess I just love that. It's just infectious and it's still there today. And for a guy that, you know, lost his legs and then became, you know, a Paralympic champion with the, you know, doing the endurance mm -hmm. uh, stuff with the, uh, the wheelchairs and just what a spirit, what a guy uh, did 24 hours of uh, Daytona, right. Um, in a special yeah. hand control mm -hmm. uh, version yeah. of the BMW. Um, just, Again, just that's the uh, a, a spirit and a person that, that I guess I really look up to probably these days. Um, from the rallying world, 
Well, I, I got to meet the guy that I guess was a, was the closest legend to me when I started following, and that was probably uh, meeting Petter Solberg, and he's him and his whole entire family are just everything that I'd hoped it would be. <laughs> They're just lots of fun and mm-hmm. uh, full of excitement. And again, I think it's the enthusiasm thing, and that's what really gets me. I, I love that passion, and it, it, th- th- there's nothing better than having that to me. So. Uh, Except for, did you see what little Oliver did to me at Mexico? <laughs> no. What? 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 Uh-huh. Okay, the story here. Uh-huh. You, oh, he had this. He got all of us. Did he get you too, Alex? Mm-hmm. He had this like little. I don't even know what it was. It was some sort of little zapping machine, like you get a shock off an electric fence. I'll have uh-huh. to post it again on my social media because it was just hilarious. And so he was going around us all, and you could turn it from one to ten. And you had to hold on to these two things and he would zap you. And when he zapped me and when he does it, you can't let go of them. Your body physically won't let you go. So uh, he <laughs> zapped me. I fell, <laughs> I fell to the ground It pulled the machine out of his hands. And because it pulled it out of his hands, he couldn't turn it off. So I'm sitting there with it zapping me and He's laughing so much trying to quickly get down to the ground where I've fallen over to turn it off. It was just, I was like ready to kill him. Oh it, like, I couldn't believe how bad it was. <laughs> Everyone but, thought it was funny. It, it's just, it, it's, it's still having fun. You know, these are people that are such, uh, I guess, amazing competitors. They're just so serious. You know, they get behind the wheel. They go into go mode, right? You know, they just... It, 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 there's a light switch. They can switch on to be in that race mode. And as soon as they get out of the car, it, it, it's its not like they're a different person, I guess, but its they just suddenly become so relaxed and uh, so open. And I, I just, yeah, that I, I love that. That's fun. I love that they can have fun and do things like that instead of just always just being so constantly serious i guess it's you know you want you want people that are approachable right in that particular case mike those two parents had done a fantastic job with their son you know just just what you're saying you know that the 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 mentality and the the attitude you know what i mean yeah uh, he may become world, world champion most likely become world champion one day but the attitude of the mentality is the correct one and you don't see that in a lot of up-and-coming drivers as far as attitude goes. But well done to the parents, yeah. Well, I think that is a great note to kind of end this podcast on. Um, actually, the one last thing I did want to say is, you know, uh, we were talking about the training you guys do earlier, and you know, suddenly I started thinking about not only the volume number of, of competitors that you two have trained, both drivers and co-drivers, but as you two came to the States and embedded yourself in our rally community here i think you two have changed our sport we didn't have as much of the self-written pace notes when you guys started we didn't have the two pass recce as common as when you guys first started here and i think it's honestly because of oz rally pro and the efforts you have to put in has elevated our entire sport here in the states that is now making other people from other parts of the world, look at the USA as a place to come to. And I wanted to thank you for that. 
Thanks, thanks, Mike, and thanks, Diana. That's a great compliment to give us, and uh, it's fantastic to hear that from you. That uh, you may not be a person that spends a lot of time in a rally car, but you know our sport, especially in North America, very, very well. So I really appreciate that compliment. Thank you very much. It means a lot to us because that's something that was a huge goal from a, for both of us coming from our background that we wanted to reach those things in America that we've been doing everywhere else. So to think that we, we think that, but to hear it from you, um, it's, it's a great thing to hear. So thank you very much. Yeah. It's like, I'd never even thought that I would sit in the co-driver's seat of a rally car, but that you guys can talk to me and teach me and allow me to, 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 to uh, live my dream to the, to the highest, to, to the highest standard to, that I could think possible. I mean, that's that's great, and I can't thank you enough for that myself. Yeah, thanks, Ian. It was great to have you here when you come and trained, and and it's so exciting to see the passion come through. And it was great to have you here when we worked with you. So thank you both for the comments. It means a lot to us, and our training is something very special to us, and we put our heart and soul into it. So to hear feedback from both of you like that is really important for us. Well, just remember, ozrallypro at uh, gmail.com. You can get in touch with these two and uh, schedule your online training for now and uh, a future one-on-one -on -one training with you two because uh, that is where the big value really comes into play. Uh, once again, we want to also, as we sign off here, uh, send our thoughts to all of our friends, family, uh, everyone that we know that are first responders, doctors, nurses, support staff, and even those working in the food industry or other places that are essential right now and uh, are at risk. So um, thank you to all of you. Um, our thoughts are with you. And remember, if you like what you're doing on the show, it's always a big help to give us a like, give us a follow, leave us a brief comment. Um, let us know what else you'd like to hear. Tell a friend. That always helps, too. Uh, you can listen to us, of course, on all your typical uh, podcast uh, different platforms, as well as tell your smart speaker to, to play the Open Paddock Rallycast podcast. Thank you for listening, everybody. I'm your host, Mike Shaw. Stay healthy and stay safe. Ooh.